Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky, I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me is... Hi, I'm Neil, I'm the news editor of the uh, Film89.co.uk and with me is... Hi, I'm Rich and I write for Film89. Is that Film89.co.uk? That is Film89.co.uk. Well, boys and girls, you all know where to go if you want all the best in film, television and gaming with just a little retro twist. I've also heard they have a Facebook and Twitter page. They do, Neil. They do. <laughs> I, I highly recommend that as well. And I believe they're also on, uh, is it in, Instagram? I believe they was, was it Instagram? It was yes, Instagram, yeah. But I haven't got a clue how to use Instagram, so you won't find much on there at all. I so just stick to Twitter and Facebook. There's at least three photos on Instagram. <laughs> And none of which are relevant anymore. <laughs> so, anyway, look, just to take you through this first episode, we're just going to have a brief, um, well, this is the introduction. Then we're going to go on to uh, a discussion or a year in review of the year that was 2017, talking about our favourite uh, films and television. And we're going to have a look ahead to 2018 and the films that we are looking forward to. Uh, main review is going to be Star Wars The Last Jedi. Surprise, surprise. And then, um, just to top things off, we're going to be discussing our three favourite comedies. And that's not three favourite films, it's three favourite comedies per person year. So we're going to be talking about nine films. But um, first things first, uh, Neil, 2017. Yes. Uh, what would you describe that as a, a year for film and TV? What, what are the things that stand out for you? Obviously, I mean, straight away, Netflix is... Uh ruling the roost again for me isn't it just yes yeah you got just like you know, the sequels of what we got like Stranger Things 2 mm-hmm. um, Better Call Saul Series 3 yeah you know um, new new sort of products as well with uh, Mindhunter which I don't know if you guys have seen Mindhunter yet. yeah the, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, ha- I haven't seen Mindhunter the, the David Fincher thriller yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is, I think he directed four episodes yeah he did you um which is one of the ones I mentioned in the in the column. Yeah, it, guys, if you haven't seen it, obviously you're gonna love it. It's it, it's definitely on my on my very long to watch list. Silence of the Lambs meets Zodiac would be my description. Yeah, and sold. Yeah. So, uh, so Neil, what were your um, picks for your favorite films of 2017? Right, I think we, I think we've all gone for this one, as I recall. But I, I think number three for me had to be Train Spotting Two. Oh, yes. oh, absolutely. T two. Oh, controversial! What were we thinking about that? Too? Yeah, I well, as as I mentioned in the article, um, Danny Boyle, uh, he he had the, the decency to approach James Cameron and ask if if it was okay if he used the title, and I think James Cameron was quite flattered and, and allowed him to use it. But yeah, it, it's certainly a little bit sacrilegious. Do you know? For me, it actually distracted from what a good film it was. Um, being completely honest, I mean, I think we're probably all going to sort of big up the first one. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a film very much of our generation. Definitely. We're at least all 30 plus, let's put it that way. <laughs> 30 plus is being generous, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Neil, Neil and I are both um, just over over 40, and. Uh, it's not too far away for me. No, it's not too far away for Rich either. So, yeah, Train Spotting, certainly a film um, that was very important to our generation, also being British because it, you know, it covered the. The um, British club scene um, in the, in the mid nineties, and yeah, it's uh, nostalgia played a big part in Train Spotting too for me, and I think uh, a lot of other people. Uh, Joe, what I loved about it as well was it was like it was, it was almost the after party, wasn't it? It was yeah. the sort of realization that you know you get to a certain point and just being a 
a young idiot just leads you to being an old idiot, basically. And I yeah. think that's I can relate to, definitely. But uh, Yes, I, I believe I described it as the come-down after the heady days of club culture. Whereas I believe I described it as a satisfying conclusion, if not necessarily a happy ending. Yes, yeah. No, it was, it was a great film. I absolutely loved it. It was one of... Um, I think it came out quite early on in the year, didn't it? Yeah, uh, it was January, January, February, February release. And, yeah, I just being quite reluctant to see a sequel to the, a film like that, bearing in mind that they discussed um, filming Irving Welsh's porno book for um, oh, you know years on end, and I thought, you know, is it too late now? But it actually turns out that 20 years on, you know, they, they could have set the film 10 years on, um, but, you know, 20 years on is pretty much, you know, they, they've, they've definitely, you know, hit middle age now, and, you know, I think it perfectly captured the, the fact that they've got to put behind their stupid, irresponsible youth and, and deal with the responsibilities of life and also atone for, you know, sins of the past. And, um, yeah, I just absolutely love the film. It does aim itself at a very particular demographic, um, you know, mainly people of our generation and fans of the, of the first film. I don't know if it's the sort of film that you could come into blind with no knowledge of the first film and get the most out of it. It'd be interesting to... To, to see from you know a younger person's point of view how the film comes across but yeah it it's um it's definitely one of my picks um one of my favorite films of 2017 by far yeah but, same yeah yeah i think if you were coming into it blind i don't think you'd actually find it that entertaining I yeah i agree i think it's almost yeah. like you've got that much investment in the characters that it's almost it's almost like bumping into an old friend yeah it? which i think is great because most films these days are sort of made to appeal to well certainly hollywood films to appeal to as broad a demographic as possible and this film was was saying no no fuck all that it, we are going to aim to the people who loved the first film um, we're not going to you know reinvent the wheel um, we're going to not going to take these characters off into wild directions we're just it wasn't holiday on the buses was it no 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 it wasn't, no, it, wasn't. Um, it was but... it, for me it was that it, it struck that balance I think I said as well it struck that balance between very much satisfying the fans of the original but also if you were going to come to this fresh it's actually makes you want to go and make it for those that haven't seen the first will watch this film and if they enjoy this film they it, there was enough in there to to what make you want to see the first film if you haven't seen it already it didn't it didn't alienate i wouldn't say that it, it alienated people that haven't seen it what it mm. did it gave you food for thought and, and and would make you want to go back and watch the first one if you hadn't watched it already and those that hadn't seen it for 20 years or yeah. however long i certainly i watched it a week before because i want to refresh my mind about the characters yeah. but i in watching it I can very much see that those who hadn't seen it for some time, you'd have to go back and watch it again. I, I did exactly that. I've got to be honest. I, I haven't seen... I think the last time I saw it was probably over five, six years ago. I mean, when it first came out, I had it on VHS and it yeah. was you know, played to death. But uh, So, I, you know, I was comfortable. I, you know, I, I didn't need to go. And, yeah. But, uh, yeah, straight afterwards, it was almost like reminiscence. It was yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it was but the characters didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like they were... Everyone had a part to play and it didn't yeah. feel as though they were shoehorning in nods to the original yeah. it was it felt organic everything about it felt organic and it's one of those films that really train spotting works as a standalone film we, we can imagine what happens to the characters later on but it works on its own oh, so yeah, in theory yeah. the sequel should never have worked it shouldn't have worked no it was so iconic in itself but actually somehow or other they, they struck gold with it and and i don't want to see train spotting three mm. but for me that was Awesome That'd be rising, rising machines. Yeah, yeah, we definitely don't want to see that. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, there's certain sequels I can appreciate. But I think you know, I, I could do away with all of those films and just have the original existed. And, but I, I don't feel like that about Train Spotting Two. I think it did add a lot, and you know, I think that 
now, much like the first two Terminator films um, complement each other. The only two Terminator films. The only two Terminator films, films, obviously. Yeah, Yeah, um, I think you've got the same here. Yeah, it was... um, that, that's on my list as well. And um, what's next for you? Or oh, Rich? Rich, go on. Well, that was number three for me, Trainspotting 2. Did we all come in number three with Trainspotting 2? Um, I think, uh, I, I haven't given mine any particular ranking, but I think I would put it mm, probably, yeah, it's not number one, but yeah, certainly two or three. We'll be finishing each other's sentences this week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number two then. We're going to straight to Rich for number two. Yeah, then. number two for me was Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, we're all Marvel fans, as as listeners will will come to realise. Um, for me, 2017 was was one of the best years for Marvel. Um, where it was it was sequels, um, and then obviously Spider Man, whereby we're revisiting the character launched in uh, Civil War. We waited so long for Spider Man to be in the MCU, and it just works. They 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 in, in Tom Holland they found um, someone who who for me. I was very, very happy with Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, less so with Andrew Garfield. I did enjoy the original Spider-Man films or the, the early 2000s Sam Raimi films. Um, I was very reticent about how they're going to uh, launch Spider-Man. Do we need to see another origin again? Do we really want to see another origin? How are we going to do it? Somehow or other, they've, they've in doing what they've done, they, they've, 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 just, they've, they've nailed it. They've, absolutely, they've, they've got, gone for the right age. They've gone for the right person to play in Tom Holland. Um, where... There was always going to be a Marvel film from 2017 in this list for me, and it's very difficult to. It was very difficult to choose between Thor, Ragnarok, this, and Guardians 2. But actually, because this was, whilst it was a revisit of the character, because this was the first new film for me, I felt like that there was so much more riding on it, and and I and I just think that it was it was one of the best uh, Marvel films of recent years. I think that you know there's there's this talk about um, Marvel or, or, or comic book films going stale. This, this for me, Marvel are so so well averse to um or so do so well at genres within the comic book film. So we'll we, you know we, with the MCU we've got um Captain America um Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier political, thriller. political thriller. We've got Thor Ragnarok, which is you know a, a comedy. Spaceballs. Yeah, it is. You know, it's it's and they exist. They co- they coexist. We've got the we've got the um the Marvel um. You know, hard dramas that are on um, that are on um, Netflix, Netflix. Yeah. and then you've got Agents of Shield, and then you've got you know Marvel's Runaways was launched on Hulu in America. You've got so many different genres within this series, and they all work, and they all work so well. And for me, this was Marvel doing John Hughes. This was yeah, that it was it was a, it was a, yeah, it was Ferris Bueller. What it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and it just and, and I just think they they absolutely nailed it. They they nailed this. You know, we were able to see from a kid's point of view all of these big goings on and how it affects and and they absolutely in in choosing michael keaton as vulture um they're nailed you're gonna be a batman to play the vulture yeah let's be honest like and i just think that that find something in spider-man homecoming that didn't work you'll be looking for a long time i think it was great yeah i was gonna say i think that's a genius with marvel as well that sort of brief introduction we had i mean i know it was last minute.com because he just got sort of did the deal with sony but bringing that little sort of cameo almost into uh, Civil War yeah. with Spider-Man, you wanted to see the origin story again. If they'd started from the, if they'd started right from the beginning, if Uncle Ben had died again, I wouldn't have minded. Yeah, yeah. After seeing how good he was in Civil mm, War, yeah, you know. Yeah. And you know they do, don't they? They just they just getting it right every time. Yeah. They just every time. Right. Um, film wise, anyway. Well, film wise. For me, I, I went into this. I was not excited about it. I'll be honest. Exactly the same. None of what I saw in the trailers um, was did anything particularly for me. Um, 
I had my concerns about the fact that it wasn't it was Marvel Studios joining up with Sony Pictures and you know I had my concerns about the how that deal would work out mm-hmm. as it turns out it's worked out brilliantly um, Sony have had the right idea to give Kevin Feige free run with the material it was a superbly written film I, I thought that all the dialogue worked there was the right balance of humour spectacle all the characters were extremely well played uh, you had obviously Tom Holland was outstanding uh, Michael Keaton as we've said was brilliant but then the incidental characters like um, Zendaya who, who plays this yeah. girl who's now going to be MJ, MJ she, yeah. she's just having seen I saw her last night in The Greatest Showman and she is definitely one to watch she is just brilliant and you know I look forward to seeing where they're going to take her next in the film if she's going to become the main love interest uh, the the other guy his his friend I forget his name uh, the, the chubby guy yeah yeah I, uh, yeah, I Let's call, let's call him Ned. 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 Yeah. Ned. Yeah. He was. The you know, I, guy. I thought. Yeah. He. When I saw the trailers, they're going to push the humor too far with him, but they didn't. It all worked perfectly, and from the, the opening with the home movie style to the the end with Aunt May with her whole what the f-, you know the, the way the film closed, I I just loved it. The film flew by for me. I've watched it twice since. Um, I think you guys have put it number two. I have to say, I'm not saying it's the best film of 2017 by far. But it is my favourite film of 2017. It's the film I've enjoyed most in the cinema last year. It's actually not, it's actually not my number two, but we'll come back to that, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> For me as well, what's worth mentioning was um, was Happy Hogan's return to Marvel as well. Because obviously I haven't had a, a gap away yeah. Um, yeah. to come back in and, and be such a big part of it and be such a sort of a, a comedy character within it. It really sort of... It, re- it really worked. It was, yeah. it was, I was gonna say, it was almost like the happy and you know, spoiler, the, the little uh, pepper cameo at the end as well with Gwyneth Paltrow too. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know if the film needed that, um, but, but it, you know, it, but it, it, all, no, it all just kind of it didn't feel forced. And I can say, especially like you say, with happy, it didn't feel forced, it felt organic. Yeah, we it was nice to know the happy's still there yeah, as well. I was gonna say, because yeah. I've, always, I've always wondered, yeah, you know, what, what, what went yeah, on but there, I think know? Marvel do that perfectly when they pick. A character from one of the other films to appear in another film they do it perfectly the way they use phil colson in uh, thor and then they carry that character through um obviously he turned up in iron man 2 first off uh the way they introduced black widow in iron man 2 the way they um had doctor strange turn up in thor ragnarok yeah. which we'll come to uh the way that ant-man when he goes to the new avengers headquarters in his film it was perfect the fact that he went up against Falcon because they're probably quite evenly matched and it was seeing more of Falcon a character who was more of one of the secondary ones so it gave him more of a, a sort of place to you know show off what he can do but one of my favourite callbacks or one of my favourite comebacks is uh, General Ross General oh Ross General Ross, Ross fantastic yeah. the very fact they brought yeah, him back the, the that fact was... that the Incredible Hulk it was it was the forgotten MCU from the fact that um, the individual rights to an Incredible Hulk film are still controlled by Universal and the, the whole rights issues with Marvel films do get very complicated but at the moment um, if uh, Marvel Studios want to make a standalone uh, Hulk film they have to have the full consent of Universal which they haven't got at the moment um, so which is why Hulk has turned up in Thor Ragnarok as a sort of supporting character but yeah I fully agree bringing him back in Captain America Civil War in 2016 that was an amazing move because it just shows and this is what Marvel do best the fact that this whole interlinked sort of story they're telling with now 17 films is just meticulously planned out and I don't want anyone to think that we here are Marvel fanboys we are not we we love DC 
Neil is a huge Batman fan. Yeah, you know, massive, yeah. probably is your favorite superhero. Is that right, Neil? Uh, yeah, he's definitely top three. Definitely top three. Probably my favorite. Rich, you know, you you absolutely love Superman, as do I. You know, I love the the Christopher Reeve era films. I you know, I love sixties Batman. I you know, I I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight films. So we we do love DC, but Rich big fan of Condor Man as well. I believe. Well, yeah, yeah, gotta give Condor Man a shout, yeah. Dave. That's that's um, for for Jim, uh, who's one of our listeners. That's, that's for you, Jim. Yeah, it's for you. Yeah. So, yeah, so you. <laughs> I think we um we just have to lean towards the the studio that's putting out the better films, and it's not Warner Brothers with the DC films. Unfortunately, they just seem to it's stumbling block after stumbling block um, as much as Wonder Woman was a, a great film from last year which hasn't made my, my top three but is you know I, I did really enjoy the film um, apart from the third act which I thought sort of degenerated into a bit of a CGI mess much like Batman versus Superman um, go to the Justice League Richard we talk about Justice League go on <laughs> yeah what do you think of Justice League guys has that made any of your lists uh, um, yet to watch it yeah, so yeah. Rich is yet Massive to watch Superman it. fan. Yeah, so yeah, it's just In fact, it's out of the cinemas it now, actually, and I'd love to wait until it's uh, on Sky. It actually made my list for best CG upper lip. Yes. <laughs> it was top three. Yeah, obviously, the, the, yeah, the, the, it was a better film than Batman versus Superman. Which but. is a valid point, actually, because when we're looking at the Marvel films, and like you were saying about Tom Holland, he is perfectly cast. And other than a few sort of early missteps, which I think have been more down to con- contractual things with Ed Norton. Uh, was it Terrence Howard was the original War yeah, Machine? Um, yeah, he was the original Rhodey, yeah. But, yeah, but both of these guys worked as those characters. Can you think of a Marvel film where someone's been miscast? I know what Rich is thinking, because he doesn't like Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. I think you're going to be in the minority there, possibly. Yeah, I, I think I need to watch, I, I need to rewatch do Doctor to Strange yeah, when I'm not shattered and I'm and it irritates me. Ben, I, I, I liked Sherlock until Sherlock disappeared for his own backside. I like... I like the idea of him. I, he looked very much like him, but he irritates me. Yeah, I, I, but I think that's something as to what they, they're trying to. I don't think they want to endear you too much to Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. I think he's supposed to be a bit aloof. He's, yeah, he's, he's very aloof. He's got an air of arrogance about he's, him. But should his accent really bother me as much as, much as what it does? And that's, well, and that's what it is. It's his portrayal. I feel it's his portrayal of him. I can, yeah. I can deal with arrogant characters. I just he grates up on me. I think you need to rewatch it. I probably um, do. Doctor Strange for me is a film that I expected on second and third rewatch to kind of go off a bit after I got over that initial oh wow look at the you know the stunning three D IMAX and all that sort of thing, and it is a film that benefits a hell of a lot from if you've got home three D setup, you do really need to experience it on Blu Ray in three D. It just looks unlike any other film. It's incredible, but I, I still I love the film as much as I when I saw it first. Um, I wouldn't put it in the top five MCU films, but it's um, it's certainly up there as one of the the best solo outings. And possibly, you know, the best first solo out in um, for a Marvel character. I think, I, I I'd certainly put it story, alongside story wise, definitely. Yeah, I put it. I would put it alongside Thor and um, Captain America: First Avenger and Iron Man as you know the best individual Marvel solo outings. There's no, um, yeah, Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's that's but that's a t- okay. It's a solo outing of a team, but you know. Guys, I think, I, I'll be honest with you now, I think we've started this off so we're not Marvel fanboys. <laughs> we've just talked about Marvel for the last two minutes. I'm just going to go to my number two. Go on. Thor Ragnarok. Which, <laughs> you've missed me, I have my number oh, three. My, my number three is, conveniently, Thor Ragnarok. So, well, Neil, fire away. That comes in then. Well, no, go on, you, you, you have your say first. because you. Okay, Thor Ragnarok is a film that I am 
very much looking forward to watching a second time because the only issue I've got with it is I think they pushed some of the humour too far. Other than that, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I really am splitting hairs um, with my top three. In the article that we wrote, I was the only one not to put them in any sort of numerical order because, to be honest with you, I can say with a little bit of confidence, Spider-Man Homecoming was my favourite film of last year, but... The difference between that and how much I enjoyed Trainspotting 2 and certainly how much I enjoyed Thor Ragnarok is is just microscopic. Um, I, I loved all three films and Thor Ragnarok is was just from that the, the very first time we saw that trailer with Immigrant Son, uh, the, the Led Zeppelin track, I, I was just sold. I was looking forward to the film for months on end and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's just I think I wish they'd reigned the humour in a little bit but that might not bother me so much on on second viewing and that's just a personal thing I, I it doesn't affect the overall rating I would have given the film i got to be honest I thought the humour worked I thought they ramped it up to 10 oh sorry they ramped it up to 11 even 11 yeah I think yeah. if you look at yeah. previous outings with Thor he is that guy anyway yeah he's always had someone restraining whether it was Odin whether it's when he's bound to yeah. the Avengers whether he's you know whatever there's some great little one-liners watching Age of Ultron the other night when he sort of goes on about the weight of his hammer and the, the perfect balance and mm, you know and he's yeah. so sort of like yeah. but I think he is basically a man-child. And yeah. if you sort of take him away from everything that sort of keeps him in line, yeah. the sillier he would get. So yeah. it did work for me. A lot of the humour worked. Well, the, the first films, the, the, you know, if you look at everyone's first outing, okay, you had Tony Stark with his with his humour and his sarcasm, what have you, but actually for the, for the first real comedy that we found would be Thor. Yeah, it yeah. was. Because yeah. the, the fish out of water yeah. thing. Which, which just worked yeah, absolutely perfectly. The, uh, yeah, I was and I think that's where Thor the Dark World sort of fell on its backside a bit because they brought him down to earth for far too much there were too many scenes involving um, Jane Foster and um, Kat Denning's character and it was a very lazy film Thor the Dark World was a very it, lazy it film. was you know Christopher Eccleston's um, um, bad guy what was his name the, the Dark Elf uh, yeah, it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter he was just oh, Doctor Number 9 I think it was yeah just yeah. very very poorly <laughs> written um, but there are still things about that film that really worked. The whole um, redemption, in a way, of Loki after the events of the Avengers. Um, the whole thing of, of seeing him turn up, uh, team up with his brother, then double-cross him only to sort of actually be on his side, only to be double-crossing him, like a sort of double-triple-cross. Mm. And that ending, where Thor is you know, saying his goodbyes to his father and, and turning down uh, the, the throne only for us to be watching it knowing that it's Loki with that final reveal is just for me one of the most mm. satisfying endings to any Marvel film and, and I absolutely loved it and I, I, you know, I did kind of like the way that Thor Ragnarok picked that up and carried on yeah. with it because mm. when we see you know that, that Odin is well, basically Loki is in is, is in imposter in, as his father and, and you know that was all very well handled as well it's, it's a bit of a it's, it's a contradiction that film is because they, as you say the main characters that we already know and are established, it does move on quite well and, and it does mm. contribute to the overall arch of the MCU. But the actual the the story that they're telling within that two hours, that that you know, the impending doom and the the elf what king or whatever. Yeah, his name it's was, just it's throwaway. It's, it's yeah. throwaway. It doesn't it doesn't have to propel the overall MCU story because these films still need to work on their own, and that's where it falls down because mm. it doesn't work on its own. It's not yeah. interesting. No. It's like a, it's like an episode. Uh, it's yeah. like when the way that Star Trek Insurrection feels like an episode of the TV show and one of the lesser ones, as opposed to a, a, a you know a big yeah you know balls to the wall film. I think that's where Thor Ragnarok it's, falls it's, down. It's an episode seven of a Netflix. Not Thor Ragnarok, sorry, Thor the Dark World. It's an episode seven of a Netflix box set. 
Yeah, it, yeah. It's the one that's right. Yeah. It's the one where you go, oh, well, yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah, you know, you've been yeah. really hooked all the time, and then you get to like episode seven, episode yeah. eight, you go, oh, so, oh so, yeah. so, this, this is going to be a lecture episode. I will have her out of your lecture fashion. But I think that's what makes the, the MCU films so so good is the consistent quality. Even the poorer films, which for me are um, For the Dark World and Incredible Hulk, they are still, you know, I, I would say that both of them, you know, six or a seven out of ten at, at worst. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't score them lower than a six any day of the week. I think they're... They're not, they're not the most absorbing, sort of entertaining, gripping films. Yeah, but and they're they're still... they fail in comparison to the other films in the series because th- th- this is a film series and anyone that sees it as um, anything else, then I'm, I'm sorry, but you can't get the full enjoyment of Captain America, Civil War, without seeing other films outside of the yeah. Captain America trilogy. For me, they, they're not... You know, it's not a trilogy if you're looking at just that one character because you have to see Cap's exploits in Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron to get the full, you know, five film arc. And that's kind of where I was going with the, the, the humour with this is, like I say, you, you're the original one, which my son frequently yells at me when I try and get him after school. You dare touch the son of a Logan! But if you look, he's sort of got progressively more sort of cocky and confident in himself, and actually funnier as well as the films have progressed. Yeah. With this, uh, the other thing with this is, this was my main sort of down on Marvel films sometimes is, oh, I'm just going to drop this little Easter egg. I'm just going to drop this little hint. I'm just going to drop this little, mm. ooh, that will happen next time. They didn't do it with this one. They just, well, we don't need, everyone knows Civil War's coming. Let's just have a blast. Let's get the Hulk and Thor to fight the bad guys. And that's what you want to see. Let me know then. Yeah, you, yeah, Infinity War. Infinity War's coming. And, oh, okay, so may as well deal with the Infinity War trailer, one of the biggest things towards the tail end of last year. What do we think of that? basically and anyway moving on yeah so it, yeah we we we're all in frequent contact um you know myself neil and rich and and, and a few others such as uh you know steve and hayden also um right for film 89 and other friends um who discuss films on an almost daily basis and as soon as that trailer dropped we were just ah uh, oh, we didn't have enough expedience to describe how incredible it was and you know this this is going to be the it's going to be the 19th um, MCU film after Black Panther drops in February. Yeah, yeah. So nineteen films in ten years. Um, you know, Marvel of almost ten years is going to be. And I we, just we can't still want see... more, don't we? We still yeah, want more. But I, I can't see this going to disappoint. Certainly not if you follow the track record of Kevin Feige first off, but then also the Russo brothers, who were the second or third Captain America films, have just completely knocked out of the park and created, for me, two of the best superhero films. Well, ever and. Still, I, I think Captain America: The Winter Soldier is probably uh, my favorite film of certainly the last five or six years. And do you know what I noticed about that as well? Is I never really appreciated the Avengers theme tune until I saw that trailer. Yeah, I know. I always thought that was the mm. big letdown. You know, you've always got the sort of iconic mm. sort of Danny Elfman, Batman. You know, um, yeah, uh, John Williams. John Williams for Superman. I can't believe we've got John Williams in. <laughs> <laughs> but they've never really had that sort of hook to it, and right at the end. When you mm. just said that, it's, it just, it just it's came, become a hairs on the back it, of the neck. You, it was like I, think, I think with a lot of film scores, they don't instantly become iconic. I don't know if the Lord of the Rings film scores were initially iconic, but certainly now I think they you know, they quite rightly ranked yeah. amongst the greatest film scores ever. Was was the soundtrack for Star Wars instantly iconic back in 1977? No, I don't know. I think Star Wars was. I think you know Indiana Jones. But again, you, know, you, you have to bear in yeah. mind that we were we were Chris, you know, we were very young at the time and. Uh, is a film released and, and 
you know, unless it's a, a soundtrack, like something like Pulp Fiction that uses yeah. existing music as opposed to a film score, does it instantly become iconic? Does anything become iconic straight away? I don't believe it does. No, you can no. have something that's completely groundbreaking that makes a massive dent on cinema, like Jaws or Star Wars did. But, you know, on, on the whole, I think these, you know, a lot of these Marvel um, scores are going to be greatly appreciated as time goes on and, we, and they become that much more familiar with us because we are bombarded with a lot of stuff. We're now up to three films a year. It's a lot to take in and... You know, I, I think these these are films that we may be looking back on in 10, 20 years' time and thinking, yeah, you know, it was fun while it lasted. Or we might just be thinking, yeah, you know, it was a much like in the golden age of westerns and and the like and 50s sci-fi. We might, might be looking back and thinking, yeah, you know, we, we're never going to get it as good as we got it then. Because undoubtedly, I think the bubble... It's going to burst. It's, it's going to burst, yeah. It's going to burst at some stage. But at the moment, like, like Richard's pointed out earlier, you've got different genres in, in that universe. You know, if you look at like say Guardians and compare it to the Thor, the, Thor, the first Thor, yeah, they're, they're chalk and cheese. You know? Well, but, but right they, the when they all come together, they all work together. They so when yeah, you see the Avengers yeah. films and the Captain America films, but, these guys all click together, don't they? It's you cool. know, uh, cast our minds back to when Thor was announced. Kenneth Branagh was directing, and it was a oh, case yeah. of that was, that, so we, that was going to be the, the falling point. One of those it was well, you know, it was good or lasted for the last couple of films, yeah. and, and and here we go. Um, but that, but you know, it does as, as I said before. It's, it's the it's the ability to have separate genres within the one. And it works. So where are we put in Thor Ragnarok? I, I, you know, like I said, I, it could occupy any of those I, top I went, three spaces for me. I went for number two. Yeah? it could easily be. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was because I was having the conversation between what Marvel film was it going to be, and it was a very, you know, on any given time, toss a coin. It was that or Spider-Man. So it's not in your, Spider-Man. It's not in mine. So what are your other two then? My, my number Train three, Spider-Man. Number two is Spider-Man, and number one is Planet of the Apes. War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Okay, Neil. Yeah. War for the Planet of the Apes quite easy. Any of the films you just mentioned there could have easily been in my top three. Um, War for the Planet of the Apes definitely could have been number one for me. But being a massive Edgar Wright fan, a massive Cornetto mm. trilogy fan, yes. I've gone for Baby Gone's Driver. Baby Driver. I'm not going to hark on about how he fell out with Marvel because I think we've just talked yeah, about we're not gonna, that. Yeah, we've given Marvel enough um, chat now. His big comeback. His big comeback on, a, yeah. on the, the biggest stage he's ever been on. Wait... But I think we have to go back because <laughs> if he if he hadn't if, if Ant Man had worked out, I don't think he would have ended up making Baby Driver because it was a bit of a Never sort of a, a pipe dream project that he was he had going on in the back of his mind as a sort of maybe a fallback if this sort of thing happened. Well, he did it as a music video, didn't he, with the guys from Mighty Bush? Uh, before we did a but, well, yeah. but I know he and yeah, he actually did it as there's a three minute music video. Ah, oh, right, okay. Where's basically the the storyline of Baby Driver? So yeah, I but that's what seven eight years ago. Yeah, but I think as you as you covered in um, one of the news articles you did about Baby Driver, possibly uh, I write so much, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, yeah, I don't know if if Ant Man had worked out if he would have been in, in a position where he was sort of um, given the keys to the city to make the film. Um, Rich, have you seen Baby Driver? I haven't seen. I haven't seen Baby Driver. Okay, it's um, yeah. It, it, it's definitely one of the best films of last year for me. Um, I, it was only edged out slightly by the other three. I didn't see it um, theatrically. Um, I saw it when it came out um, on, on home video. But I, You might have lost out a lot, a little bit. I'm, no, usually, I, I think I'm, so, usually yeah. I'm if a film's good, you can watch it on a, you know, a, a four-inch yeah. portable or you can watch it on an IMAX. Yeah. And if a film's good, a film's good. But I will say, having watched it in the cinema and then watched it at home, you, you do lose somewhat yeah. just because it's so beautifully shot. It is. It is a you know. It, it is a very nice looking film. Some of the stunt work is incredible. The, you know, the soundtrack is great. It, it's just a great balls to the wall film. It doesn't pull its punches. It's uh, you know hard R rated. It I say hard R rated. It's a, it's an adult film. 
but it's a film that you know a teenage audience could enjoy and it, it knows what it wants to be that, it does that's the yeah. good thing about this film it's not trying to sell to any demographic no that's right going, this is the story this is how I want it to look yeah. and it knows what it wants to well, be it's much not, like, um, not pandering to anyone no, but that works much like um, Matthew Vaughan's Kingsman yes definitely not yeah. I, I'm not going to talk about the second film because I, I avoided it I I didn't mind it. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, was never knocked, I didn't mind it. I was put off. Um, I, I I was lucky enough that I didn't have to see it for review purposes, so it, it sort of um, fell on the back burner for me. But, you know, I, I appreciated the first film. I didn't like it as much as some people, but that was very much a film that um, wasn't pandering to any audience. It was a film that was what the director wanted it to be. I think with the, with the first Kingsman, I wasn't really that sold on it. So good, and it was like a pleasant surprise. So with the sequel, they had a lot to live up to. Yeah, and I think a lot of people went into Kingsman two with with that attitude that you know it had so much more to live up to the first one was like sort of like oh it's actually quite good yeah yeah you know whereas the, the, the weight of expectation might have perhaps weighed on that one a little bit yeah so Rich your three are my three are Trainspotting two followed yeah. by Spider Man Homecoming at number two and the number one is Wolf of the Planet of the Apes yeah so mine are uh, Thor Ragnarok uh, Trainspotting two Spider Man Homecoming. Uh, mine was Justice League. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, right, so at uh, number three we had <laughs> Train Spotting to T two, followed by Thor Ragnarok, followed by Baby, Baby Driver. Cool. So yeah, um, good year for film. Uh, still a lot of films that um, we haven't discussed. Um, some of the films we're going to be writing about soon that we've seen sort of the tail end of twenty seventeen. Um, there, there were a few little films towards the end of the year. Obviously, we're going to be talking in a lot of detail about Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which. Interestingly, he hasn't made any of your any of our lists. Um, not to give away too much. Um, well, there was a few films. There was a few films as well. I think last year that we never mentioned, and there was a few that I didn't. You know, that I, I totally forgot about. To be honest, mm. and then looking back after the article was done, things like Wind River, yeah, American Made, which again totally surprised me. Tom Cruise has his trick. I don't like Tom Cruise, but I like Tom Cruise. Yeah, I know what you mean. Every mm. time I see a Tom Cruise film, I'm like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. I don't want to see. It. And then yeah. I watch it, I go, oh, I quite like Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise when he's good he's great I don't think he gets the credit he deserves he doesn't do a lot for himself when he does things like that silly stunt he pulled on Oprah Winfrey um, a while back oh he's bonkers he's completely bonkers but you know if if you're listening Tom me and Richard don't share Neil's opinion there Um, we love you I'll say it as it is Tom you're bonkers but I love you in oblivion and I think you're very good in American Made and you should do more films like that a little bit more character driven rather than just running fast yeah, Tom, Tom Cruise tends to run in every but film. But he is a good stop, runner. Stop he's running a... strange. He's always pumping those abs. So, yeah, my, I think my... I, I had a very strict rule that I was only going to pick, and there's no logic to this other than what goes in my own, on in my own twisted mind, that I was only going to pick films that came out um, according to the US theatrical release. I do have to say that if I'd gone on UK releases, I would have definitely put La La Land in my top three. I know it's a, lot of film, a film that a lot of people don't like, and I was just completely taken by the fact that I, as a rule, despise modern musicals. I went to the film reluctantly um, because uh, my better half, she wanted to see it and I just loved it. I thought it completely embraced the sort of love of golden era of Hollywood. It didn't rely too much on the songs. They sort of supported the film and it actually had a plot, it had acting, it had a script and like every other modern day musical I've seen and I, I love the film and if I was going to break that little rule then La La Land would definitely be in my top three it may even take the number one spot because I've I rewatched the film and I thought once I get over that initial thing if oh, I was a musical that I enjoyed will I start to pick it apart and I didn't and I loved it just as much the second time the other honourable mention um, 
from last year. I would pick L, which was a film that came out in America in 2016, the Paul Verhoeven film. Um, but yeah, that was um, quite unlike any film I've seen in recent years because it's a Paul Verhoeven film because he doesn't pull his punches. The subject matter was, you know, it was it was quite a disturbing film. Um, but I thought, you know, you know that. I just wish it'd come out in 2016 because it seemed like the wait between the US theatrical release and the UK release in, in February was just way too long. I think we're finding that now with a few films like um, Three Billboards, which doesn't come out here until, is it January 12th? Yeah, it's 12th January, yeah. Mm. yeah. Unless you're lucky enough to have seen it. Yes, Neil has, seen it. Neil has already seen the film. Yeah, he was lucky journalistic enough. journalistic credentials out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, we're looking forward to seeing your review, which will be up shortly. But yeah, that's another thing that certain films like the Marvel films come out in the UK first before the States but then other films will have to wait months usually with the smaller independent films so there's still a lot of films I haven't seen from 2017 but overall a great year um, looking ahead to 2018 you know I am looking forward to the th again the three Marvel films not to labour the point too much but Infinity War tops my list of everything um, I just you know that trailer was just unbelievable and I, I just don't see the Russo boy, uh, brothers disappointing I think you know. I think literally. I think even people that aren't big Marvel fans at the moment are looking forward to Infinity War. Let's be completely yeah, that. yeah. Um, you know, I I know there are, there's this ridiculous thing if you either have to fall into two camps of Marvel versus DC, it's it's just complete bullshit. I I I'll go on the record now. I want DC films to be good. I really do. Yeah, yeah there was no one. I enjoyed Wonder Woman. I as much as people praise Wonder Woman, I thought it was a live film. I think it probably benefited from being the best DC film. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was rather done to... Yeah, rather than it being a, a great film, I think it was the best of a... I'm not going to say the best of a bad bunch, because that doesn't... Yeah, that's it, that's but I think it does the film a disservice. Yeah. I think Patty Jenkins was the right person for the job. I wish she'd been able to carry on and then take over from uh, Zack Snyder when he left Justice League. I think she would have been f a far better choice than Joss Whedon. Um, we say that now, and hindsight's a great thing, but let's be honest now, if I'd said to you, Zack Snyder's not, I mean, it was tragic, the reasons he had to move. Oh, yeah, yeah. The reasons yeah. he had to leave the, the, the production. But if I'd said to you, after Batman v Superman, if I'd said to you, Warner Brothers aren't going to use Zack Snyder now, they're going to bring Joss Whedon on. Oh, yeah, I probably we, would have been, We'd have all said, great, we, look, yeah, we'd have been very images. positive about yeah. it, but you say, um, you know, with, uh, this is purely with hindsight. Um, I don't think... I mean, obviously, he didn't bet, he, he, you know, he came in at the last minute, there's not rewrites, reshoots moustaches to be removed Ugh, yeah oh, wow. <laughs> why do they just do Superman with a beard they were going to do Superman with a beard why I, do again Superman because because these there's, I don't think there's someone with a cohesive vision that is overseeing these Warner Brothers DC films that are making the right decisions they who, who is who is Henry Cavill what, what films is he currently making is it, uh, Mission Impossible 6 right. that's, that's the one for which he had the moustache which right. he but it, was, it wasn't an issue from the studio create that making that that said that he wasn't allowed to shave the moustache off he could go back provided they CG removed it I, no so, the, I think it's Paramount making Mission Impossible 6 that's right Paramount they yeah. didn't Warner Brothers offered to Digitally add on a CGI moustache onto Henry Cow, and you can buy stick on moustaches. You can, you can. That's all you have to they do. They don't have to be attached to a nose and glasses. They, 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 they can. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> I frequently wear them when I'm out potholing. Yeah, stick on, stick on um, facial hair. Yeah, like you. Paramount wouldn't allow it, uh, so Warner Brothers had to CGI, and I think they only had three months to do it. Or let's just keep the moustache on and let's just add a beard, a, a beard. Yeah, and let's Superman. give Superman a in a black, black suit because he's come they back from the dead. Yeah, they they those yeah. scenes. I don't, I don't know if in the you know the upcoming you know home... Do you know the, the cut scenes 
He's wearing the black suit. He is. With a beard. Again, this... The film had to be two hours long. No, this, this isn't going to be... And had, had to be lightened up. And had to be lightened up. That's why they got rid of it. Or because of the success, probably, of the likes of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And, yeah, it... And the feedback from Batman v Superman. And then the positive response to Wonder Woman, where we had a, where we had a positive hero. We had a positive main character. Someone who <sighs> actually inspired people. So it was a case of, let's hark back to the Christopher Reeve <sighs> area. Which is why the opening scene is Superman being... A yeah. hero, yeah. Mm. which is quite again. To it it seems to me that a lot of films and a lot of franchises have been affected affected by a film comes out, it gets torn apart on social media. The filmmakers sometimes, when they listen to what the fans want, then yeah, that's great. But a good writer and a good director won't give the fans and the audience the film that they think they want because a lot of the time we don't we don't know what we want. If you had asked me what I would have wanted in a film uh, like Train Spotting Two, I what I probably would have told you wouldn't have been as, as effective as the film that Danny Boyle gave us I'd have, I'd have messed that straight yeah. up yeah, I, yeah. Think, I, I think the same with Justice League as well to be honest I but, think you know I think if, if, if I sort of if I could draw up if, if I was in charge of Warner yeah. Brothers for a day I wouldn't nail it but when, I, I, nail yeah, it, when, but when I say that I mean just a general audience because you know if, if you've got um, if you've followed a film franchise for a long time and you're you know I don't want to use the term hardcore fan but you know, sometimes it helps to listen to the studio, uh, listen to the fans, because the people behind the scenes don't really know what they're doing. They don't have that much of a knowledge of the source material, and sometimes it does take someone with with a passion for the source material to step in and say, "No, this is how it needs to be done." Which is why Kevin Feige over at Marvel, he he knows the comics inside out. He puts the brakes on when they need to be put on. That's right. So, yeah. And unfortunately, there's no one at DC that is driving things in the right direction. But anyway, I think, you know, we're, we're going another, off. It's another podcast. Yeah, yeah that's an entire... entire yeah. I think we're missing the big film that has come out this year, starring Sir Jason of Statham. Oh, the... Yeah. The Meg. The Meg. Jason Statham versus a giant shark. He's going to roundhouse kick it. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> I think um, it's probably no better time now to move on to our That's main right. review. I think we get us off the comic book stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that worked perfectly. Okay, so um, our main review this week is a little bit late, but you'll have to excuse us. Um, you know, we uh, this is our first episode, and it just happens to be airing at uh, the beginning of January. Is Star Wars: The Last Jedi, a film that seems to have lit up social media um, like wildfire? You either seem to fall into two camps of you didn't like the film or you loved it. So, starting off with Neil, what are your thoughts going into Star Wars: The Last Jedi? My thoughts going into it straight away, uh, I didn't know which camp I was going to fit into. And coming out, I was a little bit confused, if I'm honest. Because it was part of me, quite enjoyed that film. And then I started thinking about certain scenes. And I think I found the latter camp. I'm not going to say hate it, but I strongly disliked it. <laughs> yeah, okay, just to give a you know, sort of brief thing. I, I came out and I felt, well, I, I had been bombarded with two and a half hours of just spectacular imagery it looks lovely it yeah looks incredible great. looking film and I came out and it, it was only in the 
the hours and days that followed, I was able to sort of assimilate what I had seen. And yeah, I've, you know, people who've read our Star Wars The Last Jedi review on Film 89, that is my review. Um, but that's not a review I wrote um, in a hurry. Um, I was lucky enough to see an advanced screening about, about four or five days before um, the, the, the theatrical release. And I was initially going to write an early spoiler-free review, but I made the decision that it, it doesn't really matter. People are going to go and see Star Wars no matter what. And I didn't think that it was a film that I could talk about and do the film justice if I was going to put out a vague spoiler-free review. So we made the decision you know, amongst us on the site that it would probably be better if we held back until the spoiler embargo had lifted and go just spoiler-filled, which is what we did. Because there is a lot to discuss in that film. Rich, what were your thoughts? Well, I was actually pleasantly surprised by the film. I was very... It, we've argued previously um, regarding The Force Awakens uh, and what my view of the new trilogy was going forward and what I expected from The Force Awakens and therefore what I expected from The Last Jedi and Episode Nine. And for me... Um, there was a lot that The Last Jedi had to do to to show the worth of The Force Awakens for the ongoing viewers, the fans of the original trilogy, uh, and and those that felt very much um, of great deal of disdain from the prequels. There was an awful lot that The Force Awakens had to do. So for me, having seen many positives in The Force Awakens, it's not the perfect film. I was looking forward to The Last Jedi. I enjoyed the trailers. I was quietly hopeful, quietly positive. I felt that um, it was going to be. I hoped that it would be that it would be good, and I came out. The first, the first scene for me, I was worried straight away. Um, With the Hux and it was that was that was appalling. Yeah. That was okay. What you what you what you referring to there is the, the scene, the scene that, where Poe Dameron um, is speaking. He, he's over oh. the communications channel to the the the, the new order okay. dreadnought, yeah. and he's speaking to General Hux and. Yeah, if you've seen the film, you're going to know the scene we're talking about where Poe Dameron is is sort of pretending that you can't hear General Hux and is pretending, pretending to, be to be on hold. It was that that was that for me that was that wasn't Star Wars. It, you, it was Guardians of the Galaxy. It was bad. Guardians it was Spaceballs. It was Spaceballs. Yeah. Yeah, great. I, yeah, I, yeah. I thought to myself, well, well, I might as well leave now because if this is if this is the way if this is the humor, I'm all for humor in it. But if this is the humor, then they're they're pitching it way too. Way, way too broad. broad. Yeah. I think, yeah, I've read, I've read online a few people saying, oh, humour doesn't belong in Star Wars. Humour's always been in Star Wars. Oh, it's yeah, always been, but it's never been parody it's humour. It's never been parody humour. And that yeah. was almost parody humour. That, to me, was like watching an episode of Family Guy. Yeah, I think, yeah. 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 When Star Wars starts to parody itself, it is going outside of the established universe. However... That level of humour, for me, only raised its head yeah. a couple of times throughout. I think in your review you say that it's, 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 it's throughout. For me, it wasn't throughout. There, were the, there was the occasional um, spike in humour that I, I felt. I have a list. That's not... <laughs> but for I, me, that, 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 it, okay. it, it, it didn't... I was immediately taken back out of that. I was, I was reassured in the scene that followed. Easy there, Shinder. <laughs> I was reassured then by, by the scene that followed... Um, with the with the attack on the dreadnought and, yeah. and the visuals and and, and and for me it was a case of right okay I'm 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 happier there was there was rumor of a milking scene which I was dreading from from the moment it was mentioned to me 
Um, and I you did have to write an article on it. I wrote an article about that. So, so then that that was in the back of my mind because I I, I remember thinking, in what in what in what way could something like that ever fit in? However, it was a little bit much for me, but it it. But you were given the, the buffer of foresight. You knew that scene was coming yeah. because, unfortunately, a mutual friend of ours... Let's, call him, of, let's call him Jim. We'll call him Jim. We'll call yeah. him Jim. To anonymise him. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to embarrass Jim. Yeah, we don't want to embarrass Jim. Or but James or something. James, yeah. He couldn't... He, he saw the film before you did, and he absolutely despises the film. He spoiled some things maybe that he shouldn't have, and one of those was the, the Luke milk in a... However, in, in it... In presenting it as such a horrendous element to the film, and that being the standard that the film should be judged, it meant that because I was expecting it, when I saw it, it wasn't as bad as what I was expecting. Have you thought about how you would have reacted to that scene if you'd gone in blind? Well, uh, no, I haven't. Well, I I, I wished I was blind after I'd seen it. Yeah, I I agree because I I can now not... for me, it's one of those... You you once said to me, uh, I I was questioning The Lost World Jurassic Park and I said about, uh, I hope that in the the next um, uh, Jurassic World film, I hope we don't have a 13-year-old girl um, attacking raptors with gymnastics. Yeah, that is a ridiculous scene, but that is 15 seconds of a two-hour film. And, And for me... The the, the 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 issues such as that that example didn't spoil the overall film for me and I think that where this film was taken off from the Force Awakens so we so whatever your opinions are on on how Luke Skywalker was was dealt with how he how his character was in this film it was already established that that he'd failed it, it, something had happened to lead him to to leave. So it wasn't Ryan Johnson's decision that Luke Skywalker was uh, uh, disappeared and couldn't be found. Was it Ryan Johnson's decision to have a milk an alien space camp? <laughs> yes, possibly. Was it Ryan Johnson's <laughs> decision to have him throw away his lightsaber? That Mark, didn't bother me. Johnson, it didn't bother. Didn't bother me at all. Okay, so 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 <laughs> we, we right as as uh, Neil and Richard know, I, I had big problems with the ending of The Force Awakens. Um, I thought it was overly forced, and now that it turns out that Luke and Ray don't actually know each other, the pained expression of longing that we see at the end of that film now means Makes absolutely no nothing because they didn't know each other. Well, the pain the pained expression is one of two things: it's either I know you. Or thank you for my long lost lightsaber. Yeah, in which, which case, which I'm now nonchalantly throw over my shoulder. Was the scene shorter in the Last Jedi? Because it felt like it was shorter. It was. Yeah. Um. I've. Yeah, they didn't have the aerial swooping. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, but, but the glances, it seemed that they tri- that they did. It was, it was trimmed down. Yeah. I actually addressed this in my review. It was one of the th- the things that not only is the the scene altered. It's like when you right, when you go back to the old Flash Gordon serials, the old black yeah. and white Flash Gordon serials, and at the end, the, you would the have. Cars going over yeah, it's just like the thing that Annie Wilkes makes reference to in. Misery, the fact that the hero at the end ends up in a life or death situation, and then the following episode, the following week, we see a different he's already, take where he's jumped yeah, up yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Now that's how I felt that scene. It it, it robbed us. It um, and and it, there was a lot of things which were set up in the Force Awakens, which were completely not paid off. Now something that I didn't know at the time when I wrote the original article, just after seeing the film is around about the same time of the film's release, Ryan Johnson was interviewed by Spike Jones, uh, the, yeah. the director, on the uh, the Director's Guild podcast. Um, seek it out. It's a, I think it's only a 23-minute long episode, and Ryan Johnson is quite frank about some of the things he he talks about the film. But at the time, uh, the, the sort of critical backlash the film received hadn't 
yet happened but he does actually say and i was completely dumbfounded by this that when he went into the film it turns out that there was no plan for films two and three or films eight and nine which seems really strange it seems really strange well that... when you when you're planning a third star wars trilogy as much as I don't think for a second George Lucas had the original trilogy planned out after the first film. We, we, we all accept a, a small spoonful of bullshit off George Lucas. Absolutely. That he, this was always going to be episode four. It wasn't. No, no it wasn't. But That's why it like wasn't. Say, we're, we're at this stage now where I think it's kind of a given. You, you should you, be planning you ahead. Bi- when you've paid four billion dollars mm-hmm. for something, then you're going to make yeah. more than one. <laughs> yes. But what he, he does say that. However, he does reference going and speaking to the story group. Right, so yeah, but you say story group. What is this story group? Now, I have no doubt that there is, you know, that all films now these days, certainly any film above a, a small to medium budget, has a round table discussion. It makes perfect sense. Ideas need to be um, shot around the room, but ultimately, it's Ryan Johnson's got the writer's credit mm. there. He's the one that's written that script. And I wonder that that for me that that was for someone who enjoyed the film, and I, and I, and I did enjoy the film, and and I enjoyed. I enjoyed Luke Skywalker's. For me, it was Luke Skywalker's film, and I and having accepted where he was, um, having abandoned um, the, the the resistance and, and gone to where he was. At that point, for him, for me, that it worked for me. I really enjoyed it. Is that a I, case of I like the way he left a map for someone to come and find him again, so it, he could do fuck all when the person came and found him. <laughs> that really, that really fitted. That him made off. no sense he whatsoever. Left, he left a map that only a, someone with force capabilities could open. So, he, so she could come to the island so he could then throw his lightsaber away and tell her he wasn't going to help her. Did yeah. he... Did, yeah, it was all locked it up was, in R2, yeah. Yeah, it was all locked up in R2. He, no. he'd, he'd left a chunk of the map. Yeah. R2 had a chunk of the map and the, the rest of the and map again, we, we don't want to go into that too much detail because why is this sector of the galaxy only known to Luke Skywalker and R2-D2? Because, because as Ryan Johnson told Collider, we know that the first film is an introduction, the middle act is training, meaning challenging the characters, and the third act is when it all comes together and you have to resolve everything. Well, that's fantastic, Ryan. If you're making the third film, well, you've come in and just done whatever you wanted. Yeah, and it seems to me as if he is... Not in relation to yeah. the first film right. or the third film. Okay, Paul so... Paul O'Jay-Jay. That's all right. I can say. Okay, you've got, you've, got, you've got the, the, the on-hold scene. You've got the throwing of the lightsaber. You've got the milking of the sea cow. Uh, Does he catch a big fish as well? He catches a big fish with he's a spear. Eat. He has to eat. He has to eat. That's great. Because I did question in The Force Awakens how such a small island can have a sustainable ecosystem that would be able to allow him to you know, feed. Can he you eats eating, fish. Can you imagine eating a gigantic fish in front of a nun who looks like a fish? She was more like Toad of Toad well, right. Hall. Yeah, so let's not... Fish, right. right. <laughs> Again, anyway, I'm not being a right. The, the little nun creatures um, who tend to the Jedi Temple... Uh, it's just I don't even know where to start well this is just before we move on to things like General Hux Um, if he was a bad pantomime villain in The Force Awakens he was horrendous he was horrendous horrendous he was terrible everyone thought they were going to hate Porgs did you hate Porgs I didn't hate Porgs but I was ultimately pretty much indifferent to them they didn't need to be in the film but like so many things in this in these two films that didn't need to be in it Captain Phasma didn't need to be in the film that's how good I thought this film was going to be I was annoyed about the Porgs yeah because yeah, I did have any other concerns no that's right because you were expecting it to be the way that the Ewoks um, caused problems for a lot of people in Return of the Jedi and there is, there is an argument that uh, I, I, you know, say I've read and heard people say, yeah, you criticise uh, The Force Awakens for being a, a, a soft remake of A New Hope, and you criticise us for doing something different in Empire. Yeah. With, with this. 
and that's fine. I didn't want I didn't want to see a soft reboot of Empire. I just wanted to see a good film with a coherent story mm. that made a little bit of sense in, compa- in comparison to what was set up in the soft reboot. I'm perfectly open to the fact that when I when I rewatch the film. Rich. that I might not enjoy it Rich. however I, I did enjoy it there was lots there's of nothing wrong with enjoying the film and I we are not here to <laughs> yeah we are not here to judge people who liked The Last Jedi because God only knows I went into that film wanting to love the film I wanted it to resolve a lot of the issues I had with The Force Awakens it resolved none of the issues it caused continuity problems within just two films some of the plot illogicalities and poor plot choices and introductions of characters that took the story absolutely nowhere that the whole film for me smacked of poor writing and poor storytelling and that is my biggest bugbear with films these days writing a good script costs absolutely nothing yeah. Making a big special effects heavy spectacular and you know making a film like, you know, Pacific Rim or something like that, that costs money, that takes time. That That's takes, you know, man hours to sit in front of a computer or if you're gonna make um you know, a, a, a historical a drama, uh, a period piece, you have to you know, you need like uh, Christopher Nolan with Dunkirk and the things that he had to do there to recreate the you know, the World War Two. That takes effort, you know, that takes money it takes the expertise of of a, of a great filmmaker good writing costs the actual cost of it is nothing plus you get the star wars gig you know you've got the money that's right you know yeah, 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 you, yeah. all you've got to do is get a story right if you turn around and say to kathleen kennedy i need another 10 million we've got 10 million of a budget they're not really gonna they pick with you really no you just gotta you know you just gotta get that story right so what do we think then is the reasoning behind having JJ back for episode nine? Is it is it because I, th- I think it's Johnson's working on the new trilogy? I think I think that's basically the I think if Johnson wasn't hadn't been given the new trilogy, I think you'd have seen him do the third film. Is, he seems to he right. seems to sit well. Or, with... or behind the scenes, are they are they thinking this has actually we've we've he can go and do what he wants to do in his in his new world he's going to create, but actually for this core trilogy we need to bring things back a little bit. I, and JJ. Having started it, because let's face it, with with the reveal, or which I wasn't expecting, which which in that uh, podcast he, yeah. he says that the that Ray's parentage that that is as far as he's concerned that is they're, they're nobody, right? Yeah. However, JJ can come back with well, actually, yeah. no, that was that was Kylo getting into well, a head. Well, Ryan Johnson has gone public on social media this week to say that the decisions he has made with Ray's parentage, whether they are just um, not actually true, and Kylo Ren was actually lying. And your parents actually were somebody, and I think if they go back on that now, that's just not going to work at all. Well, they kind of did that in the original with, with Obi Wan, didn't they? You know, yeah, yeah. From a certain point of view, that you know, I told you he killed your father. Yeah, yeah effectively, yeah. he killed the man. Are you? Yeah, yeah. So you can play with it that way. But to me, that's actually now doing fans this service. But, but I think that. Ryan Johnson, well, Ryan Johnson actually said now that J.J. Abrams is open to take things in whatever direction he wants with yeah, his parentage, which again that makes very little sense. And but no, no, but I, I disagree with that because in getting in for, for Kylo Ren to get into Ray's head, that's taking the rug from underneath her, isn't it? She, she, she. Is got this these grand ideas about who her parents are, um, that they're going to come back for all the rest of it, and actually to find out that that they they were nobodies. They I were think she special. already knew, and I think it was a realization from her. Was this her accepting something that she's already known? But I think that if 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 JJ's approach is that that was Kylo getting into her head, as opposed to that being canon, it, it we don't I don't think yeah, that it, it's going to be a long they, stretch for us to go. Big and flip, big and flip, yeah. quite easily. Right. 
So anyway, where are we now? Right. We, we've done general hacks. Let's, let's, let's try to do this chronologically. We've done general hacks. We've done general hacks. We've got, okay, space, sorry, no, we, it, we missed a little bit out. Is we, it a space battle afterwards? No, the space battle at the beginning, we have rebel ships dropping bombs That's onto right. a ship in space. I do believe space is a region of the galaxy, of the, of the universe, where gravity sort of doesn't play a fact. And but bombs are dropping onto a ship. But also, don't we hear noises we do yes yes we throughout do. every okay. star wars right. film do we not hear just, the sounds of, of i'm gonna give of, a little bit of leeway with that i, I, will, con- I will concede that because if you think back in empire what? strikes back you've got the tie bombers if you yeah that's nitpicking if, i will, I will you, i'll put my hand up that the the, the thing with the, the bombs i will accept that that is nitpicking and that can be explained away but these five or six of these bomber ships coming towards the dreadnoughts yeah a, a lot of them yeah and they i think Five or six of them have been shot through yeah, the Yeah, apart from the yeah. one. Yeah. We're... Waste of human life. Yeah, true. Yeah, we're living in a world where droids can do anything. True. Right. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Let's get, let, this dwindling number of resistance fighters that we've got, yeah. let's put them in those Look, again, slow I think this is going to get into the time yeah. nitpicking. Massively. Now. This is massively yeah. nitpicking. Yeah. Let's go. Let's, let's, look on, at the... let's move on to the next part of the battle. Oh, is that the hour and a half chase where you have pretty no, much. No, no, I'm thinking of the bit where. Something happened that I never thought I would ever see in a Star Wars film. Oh, Mary Poppins in space. So, Carrie okay. Fisher, we're all gutted. Let's be honest. She's an absolutely complete, devastated. Complete icon, she was, ledge. She, yeah, and more of a ledge on a chat show than she is in the Star Wars. Absolutely. Well. Uh, when, when Carrie Fisher passed fantastic. away, um, I. I I wrote an article for um, a website I used to write for, which was pretty much just a tribute to Carrie Fisher. Uh, I was absolutely devastated. When, um, when I didn't realise. Did you all just I think, thought, yeah, that's, that's how it, they've killed yeah. her off. Yeah. So, Princess Leia, she's on the bridge of the starship. It it gets destroyed. She gets sucked out into space. Along with Admiral Ackbar. Along with Admiral Ackbar. Rest in peace. I'll come back to later. She then is able to survive the hard vacuum of space. Not only that, and also the freezing temperatures, she is then able to pull herself back to the ship. It's not the pulling herself back to the ship I've got any issue with, because in the years between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, it's entirely conceivable that she has become more adept in the Force. Luke might have trained her. He might have said, if now, you ever get blasted out in space, this is what you do. If, right, if you, right, look at the continuity Star Wars is set up. If you've got a Jedi Master who is not able to survive underwater without breathing apparatus like Qui-Gon Jinn yep. in The Phantom Menace, mm-hmm. how then is Princess Leia... Yeah, Commander, so, General, so General, General, Leia, General how, how is she able to survive a far more harsh and instantly deadly environment as space? It's literally... You, you, you're establishing... Um, and and they, they can say that they have now made um, the expanded universe not canon. Okay, they can do that. I don't agree with that choice. But you're still operating within an established continuity established rules and laws of physics it's a little bit of a push and it's not the thing that bothered me the most about the film far from it but don't you think it's a little bit of a yeah it's not that it's it not the strongest no it's not the strongest didn't part need to happen. like i said it's not a, i'm not for one second saying it's a perfect film it, part of me thought that maybe it was um it was a moment that was added later it was one of those it was one of those things that because obviously with the with the effects that we used and what have you, that maybe that was a bit of a hero moment for Leia to give her a standout moment. Not needed, but I wondered whether where is where is the, the party line is that the film is left unchanged from what it was planned. Yeah. It it is how it is. For me it felt like this is we're going to give her a send-off. This is going to be an iconic scene for her. And for me, it wasn't the best choice. And it was a silly choice. And it was followed up by most of the film of them being in a coma, which, i got to be honest, I found more disturbing. Yeah. 
if she'd just been blown out of the, sp the spaceship in, and there was that little shot where she started the float, where you saw her hand just before it moved, and I thought they're just going to pan away now, and that's going to be a lovely sort of almost a fitting yeah. tribute. Mm. You know, you yeah. know, she's she's with the stars, like you know. With, with, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd accepted that, that that her and Luke were not going to see each other. Yeah. Because I I figured that it, I I set it for the fact that Luke was going to be on the island for the. But for again, the whole I think film. look, I think you're just too accepting of the fact that these films have written the three characters of Han, Luke and Leia into a box that they spend most of the films apart. There was no need to do that from the start. You didn't have to make them the central characters because I obviously will concede the fact that Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford are way too old maybe to be carrying an action-heavy series like this. Yeah. And so they could have been supporting players, but they didn't have to be treated in the way they were. It goes back to issues I've had and the, my biggest bugbear with The Force Awakens was the aftermath of Han Solo's death. The fact that when Rey and Chewie come back to the rebel base, Princess Leia, and yeah. this is the thing that I will not forgive that film for the most, the fact that she completely ignores Chewbacca the, the lifelong companion. smuggling partner and companion yeah, yeah. of Han Solo. She completely Strictly ignored platonic. him. Strictly platonic. And, and now we know that Rey hasn't got any Skywalker lineage, so it's not like her yeah. and Leia had any link. She ignores Chewbacca, who she allows to walk past her, and she consoles Rey, a girl who has known Han Solo for a matter of days. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. So I think these are problems that were put in place with the first film. People are now saying, well, this is, a, this is the hand we've been dealt. Let's see how Ryan Johnson takes us. Fast forward, Luke, who's this lonely farm boy who goes off on this amazing hero's journey and develops mm. a brotherhood with Han Solo, finds out he's dead, and, you know, well, I think the nonchalant look was the same as when he threw the lightsaber over his shoulder, wasn't it? Just, there was no real sort of, no real sort of, you know, gravity there, was there? No. that scene? No, there wasn't. No. No, um, we don't know what's happened in that 30 years, do we? We don't know what they're... Because we've not been given any of the backstory. Yeah. And this, this leads on to another massive problem I've got, which is Supreme Leader Snoke, apart from being a terrible name. People are saying, well, we didn't know, we didn't know anything about Emperor Palpatine in the first three films, but we knew everything we needed to know. We need to know the backstory of Snoke because, unlike Palpatine, that we didn't know anything about the, his existence prior to the Star Wars films because the, the history before that film hadn't been established. They were the first films in the series we need to know about how in the intervening 20 or 30 or so years in between return of the jedi and the force awakens how snoke who seems to be far more powerful than the emperor he looks like he's thousands, ancient thousands, thousands of years, years old or hundreds of mm. years old how has he come into power having had no mention before yeah it it literally is is as if they were well let's just drop this character in because he looks cool or we'll have him as a big holographic projection in the first film we'll reveal him in the second film well let's forget the the visual things let's actually write him as as a as a well defined character let's give him a bit of backstory there's so many things in that film that raise questions in the run sorry in the run up to Force Awakens they were actually saying about Snoke that he's been around. They, it, in, in the preamble uh, yeah. yeah but this was, is naturally in the film and for the film to no, work no 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 that's right but, but, and, and I, I, know I was expecting that payoff as well and I agree with you on that front my, my hope is that because we are that we have with with episode nine we have that sort of um, option then because we're going to find out more about Kylo Ren then you might find out more that, that maybe the, the I would hope character. That they would because because Snoke being such well, they, an apparently important character, he has a short shrift, doesn't he? They've announced today that the release of the um, the companion book to the Last Jedi will explain that Snoke had actually trained two Siths, Kylo Ren and an unnamed one. Oh. And I always think that's great when you have to read a book after yeah. the film. Yeah, no, no. The thing is, we were talking earlier. We were saying about not playing up to fans, and I completely agree with that. 
But this film is almost... You also got to listen to what fans disliked. And if you look at the prequels, you look at um, Darth Maul. This was, this was this, this fantastic new villain that was coming in who did absolutely nothing. We found out absolutely nothing about him and he got chopped in half. Yeah. Rian Johnson, or Ryan Johnson, has given us... A character that we know yeah. absolutely nothing about yeah. and chopped him in half. Yeah, so people are saying, people who are defending this film are saying that Ryan Johnson took things, took the film in directions fans didn't want, but I don't buy that. He's responsible for some really poor storytelling, some poor writing, some very poor choices that a director shouldn't be making, certainly not one that's also writing the film. And actually, if you look, so much of this film is harking back to previous films. You know, this is the second film we've got the at-ats, you know, we've on, on a on a, a white covered planet. There's the little visual cues which he didn't need to do. He could have come up with more interesting things. Yeah. Not you know, visually I think that part of the film is is really good, really well made. But you know, I from start to finish I you know, I covered most of it in my in the art in the review I wrote, but I also found myself having to say, right, enough of that because I'm labouring the point. These are things I could have gone on to into in much greater detail, and thousands upon thousands of writers and YouTube uh, reviewers and people like that have actually gone into detail about things they didn't like about the film, things which are going to be impossible for us to cover. Oh, you could you could like, spend hours. We could, and, but I think let, let, let's look at the main one: is that the massive chunk, the middle of the film, with Finn and Rose's subplot. Hmm. I know there's a time and a place for strong female characters. Yeah. This film was drowning in them. Did Rose need to be in this film? No, not at all. She did Was she nothing. brought in as a uh, unwanted love interest for Finn? Yeah, Finn didn't need a love interest. Finn, you know, he didn't need to be bogged down by that subplot. People have said that we need more representation in films, and absolutely, of course we do. But what we need is those characters to be well-written. Star Wars is a film that has always championed... Um, Diversity. The Empire Strikes Back introduced um, a key black character, Lando yeah. Calrissian, a character who, for many people, is by far the coolest person in the Star Wars universe. Cooler than Han Solo. I'm sorry, but you know, yeah. Lando is a he fan. Brought as a re- replacement for Han Solo. Yeah, yeah that's not right. Yeah. So they, you had black representation in that film. You had even in the first film, 1977 Star Wars, you had Princess Leia was an incredible, uh, you know, female heroine. She actually took control of things when they rescued her from the Death Star. She was not the damsel in distress. She grabbed the gun straight away. So Absolutely. Like, yeah. She was more, she had more guts. You've got Han Solo running away from stormtroopers. You've got Luke Skywalker not really knowing what he's doing and just sort of winging it. Princess Leia, she is, you could argue, the true hero of that film. Yeah. So start, don't give me the, that bullshit. The Star Wars it needs to be more representative because it doesn't. It's always been there. You're just making excuses for poorly written characters. I did. I, 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 let's let's have a look. Right. Rose, I, Rose Rose is a, a strong uh, female Asian character, right? Great, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Donnie Yen was introduced in the in Rogue One and is for many people the best character in that film. Yeah, he that. is an Asian character, but he's also an incredibly well written character. And just Donnie Yen was just you know he knocked it out of the park for me. It's him and K two S O the two standouts from from Rogue One. I think we're on dodgy ground because if, if if you offer criticism, you're instantly accused of but being yeah, but we're also justifying it because misogynist or racist yeah. or whatever well, we're not because we, but what I would say is I did find this film there was there seemed to be a, a, an agenda to this film there's a political film. agenda to the film and I completely agree that film needs to have strong independent females and people from all different ethnic backgrounds and I completely agree with that just make them good basically. yeah make them well written and make you're not going to be alien, I, aliens uh, Terminator 2 incredibly strong yeah. female characters and we wouldn't change them for the world because they're well written and they, they're just you know they're well rounded characters and 
this film you got um, Vice Admiral Haldo Laura Dern's character completely doesn't need to be in the film not only does she withhold information from Poe Dameron which leads to his course of action to cost the lives of thousands of, of rebels yeah. is completely illogical you've then got her making the big sacrifice you, you've got two other options here which have been far more impactful I don't give a damn about Haldo by that just point because I've only just met her and I've not really found her particularly endearing because none of her decisions in the film have been anything that have made much sense at all and we're suspicious all. of it we're suspicious of it absolutely so not only that but you've got her then making the big hero sacrifice and as much as that was an incredible visual moment and the, the use of silence and just the whole thing of her just hyperspacing through the um, First Order fleet was incredible to behold imagine if the person making the sacrifice as I mentioned in my review had been either Admiral Akbar yeah that would have been amazing or Leia. better still if it had been Leia if what there was no emotional payoff in that film that struck a chord with me whatsoever even the way moving on to the way they handled Luke when Luke eventually died if that's what he's done or become, I bet he hasn't now well yeah we, the they could, we, we'll see we will see three, we will see what J.J. Abrams does with it but <laughs> there was there was anyway. nothing in yeah, that there was, there was no emotional gut punch in that film at all the thing is with, with Laura Dern's character was it Holden? Holden. Holden. Holden Holden we've seen similar characters before who come in and were very abrupt and very sort of icy or very sort of standoffish and you need time with that character if that film if that, if that payoff had come in the second mm-hmm. film if we'd had a bit more character development there yeah it would have been see she wants so bad after all mm. this got to the stage where you're going to die anyway you can you see know? yeah you, I think you, you know, can what see what she did was great but it, it lacked the payoff like like you say if they, if they had the footage to do it with later it would have been tremendous yeah. if they'd done it with Akbar is probably a little fan favourite but that would work perfectly for me the, the thing with it even when we found out as an audience that she was actually on the right side it was a little bit I was a bit yeah, confused but this, it was a bit, know, there was so much poli- sort of political right, let's talk about this let's talk about this subplot what was the point of this subplot was it launching we, we, we had a view of a different area of the universe yeah. that we've not seen before so See, again it, I've heard this criticism and but, I, 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 but, but is this is this Ryan Johnson's new is, this, is this where we're looking at is this is this where he's right. going this film if you look at it right as far as new locations go this has got probably half or a third of the actual it, it doesn't expand the film anywhere near as much as Rogue One did if you look how many we had Jeddah yeah. we had we had so many different yeah. planets we had the the asteroid sort of um, thing uh, colony whatever that was in Rogue One we had st- that Rogue One expanded the Star Wars universe even though the story itself was confined Rogue One expanded the film visually far more than this film did so I don't buy that for a second that we saw, oh, we saw new parts of the galaxy rubbish well I, we, we I did think, but it, whether this, there was any film, value in it this well, film was, it was a very strong political message in did, that did, well, we, did we see more than but, so. but it was also about setting up it was also for that shot at the end for those little cast of Oliver to, to yeah, that, but that was for, wasn't it? That that was what it was for. It was just it was but, to show that there are there are. We think that Luke is the last Jedi, but actually there are people with, with great. Yes, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense because and, that would that, that also harks back to things which, um, for better or worse, were established in the Phantom Menace with the midichlorians and um, the. the which, yeah, the things which the, the, the things which Qui Gon Jinn discusses, and and you think, well, yeah, you know, there are going to be people in this Star Wars uh, universe who are more force sensitive than others, much like uh, Donnie Yen's character yeah. of Chur Dimwe mm. in Rogue One, who had had he been born thirty years earlier, probably would have become a Jedi, yeah. you know, because he was force sensitive. And like the way his character was handled was perfect, because at no point does he ever use the force. And it, the, the question mm. is, has he actually got any force powers, or does he actually just convince himself that he has? Is it and his positive thing? His abilities yeah. are completely natural. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, it, there's, there's an open, what do we call it, the, the, the graveyard ice. I think that's the, the, what they were basing it on, basically, mm. where you, you had a sort of slightly got a force, but it's not, you know, 100% yeah, yeah. force worthy in there. So, you know, there, were, there was no subtlety to the writing. Everything was ham-fisted. They were... Um, so we got Finn and Rose going on a mission. Yeah, on a, a on a mission which takes thirty minutes of, of, of screen time. Yeah, not great. And they were going to meet a was it a, a forger or? Uh, yeah, they were going to meet um, a, a hacker, codebreaker, codebreaker, code yeah. codebreaker, and the actual codebreaker was played was by um, guy from the left. Uh, it's um, <laughs> why why is his name evading me? It's Jennifer Aniston's other half, uh, Justin Theroux, yes. who made probably the, the the most pitiful cameo that anyone's made in any Star Wars film. But he was the only man in the galaxy that could do this, yeah. Yeah. So then they went to space prison. Yeah. Space prison for a parking ticket. Because obviously they. Yes, that's th- right. They put some thought into this storyline. Yes, they had a parking <laughs> ticket because they parked their <laughs> ship on the beach, correct? As you do. And then they, they went to space jail. And in space jail was um, quite a revered actor. You're quite shocked. Vinicius del Toro. You're quite yeah, shocked yeah. to see quite yeah. a revered actor in there. But you think to yourself, well, you know, he does little cameos in Marvel. He's the collector. Yeah. yeah. He, was quite, um, he was quite over the top as the collector. He was, he was quite imaginatively called DJ. So DJ. I, can only, I can only presume that perhaps he was nothing to do with YouTube, but he was, you know, he had some sort of radio background. Yeah, possibly. In the 70s, yeah. probably, done the top 40. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that he could actually, he could do this code breaking. And to prove it to him, he was going to break out of jail. Yeah, so he was in jail. He was in a jail he could break out of waiting. In fact, let's stop because we're going to literally so go into a- pulling apart this entire subplot. <laughs> Please, refer back to my review. I actually do an entire paragraph on where that whole plot point falls apart, which would be fine if it took up five minutes of screen time. It doesn't. It takes up 30 minutes. So, so it's far, a, what good film. films, what good things sorry, have we got in this film? Because we're trying to be as objective as possible. And just, just to say that another member of Film 89, Steve Amos, does absolutely love the film. So, and, and uh, Hayden Sproul, who is also part of our team, he... Didn't love it as much, but he didn't sort of. He wasn't as down on it as Neil and I are. But I probably, I'm probably nearer to Hayden than in that respect. It was take take away all of that, right? For me, I I, I was really really engaged with Luke and his journey and his story, and I thought that to, I, I, I got it. I, I it worked for me because I accepted where he was. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard all the criticism about the fact that, he, you know, he wouldn't have gone. He wouldn't have gone. He wouldn't have left everything behind. He wouldn't have gone. But he did. I, I'm i not at that point okay. where he wouldn't yeah. have done. That's, yeah. that's I fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to be honest, my initial fanboy reaction was like, you have just taken a huge steaming dump on one of my childhood heroes. Mm, absolutely. You've made him a miserable old man. But I will say, in retrospect, with hindsight, I don't want to be just like a sort of internet troll fanboy hater, whatever the kids call them these days. I accept the fact that people can have changes in life. Tragedies can happen to people. And, Absolutely. You know, you can know someone one year and the, the following year they're a totally different personality because of tragedy yeah. and blah, blah, blah. It was just the way it was handled for me. Yeah. It, it, it's the tone, the whole tone of it. There, was, there wasn't a somber enough tone. Well, again, we needed it, some form of redemption for If you're going to kick us in the nuts with Luke, you've got to give us some form of redemption for him at the end. And I just felt cheated at the end. Yeah, the, 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 again, you know, just, we, you know, I just felt cheated I, with, with his sort of little sans, sans one at the end. I was yeah, that that whole thing, and and, and, and yeah. I, but I didn't. But for me, and I thought that, and I thought that him him disappearing was okay. harking back to what? Ben Kenobi. Disi- if he's if he's going to go to, I can't like that. I can't yeah, like yeah that. but if he's going to go to all of the trouble to project his whatever that was across God knows how many light years at the cost of his life, why didn't he just get in that X wing which we saw? Under the water. The engine was flooded. 
<laughs> it Can you imagine how good that shot would have been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he'd stood on the right. rock side, yeah. just lifting that just up. Just like yeah, you yeah. call back to the Empire Strikes yeah, yeah. Back. This is something I've not thought of until you've mentioned yeah. it. That's, now, that is a very, brilliant. very good point. Right. So, that would have been the trailer. Okay. Just yeah. doing that. Yeah. So, oh, everyone that's listening, cool. what we're trying to do is we're trying to be critical and offer up alternatives. Yeah. Which, you know, I did with the Akbar Leia thing, then making the sacrifice. Neil's just done it here. So, we're not hating on the film. But. What a scene that would have been. Yeah. But instead. And it, this is just three guys who have got. That was Superman, wasn't it? That was Superman. I couldn't remember his name really. No. <laughs> we're three people completely not, you know, in the in the filmmaking process who are coming up with stuff like this. This seems, come on, it does seem like you, you have to admit oh, it's yeah, that, a far be, better idea than what we've seen. That would be that, that would be tremendous. So, you know, you've got Luke then projects himself across God knows how many light years. He evaporates into nothing. Bringing the dice with him. Bring, which yeah the dice which that he was gives also to projection was it yeah remember as a kid you know yeah dice you hanging get, off the you get the you get the Millennium Falcon for Christmas and you'd be like oh mum I wanted the one with the dice yeah <laughs> oh mum I told you to give me the one again dice. this is you know the, the dice pulls it out of the Star Wars universe and puts it surely there was like like let's look for an object yes let's look for an object that we could have given later let's look for something we could have given that really doesn't know anything you're not going to give her the blaster you're not going to no, give her the fucking medal she gave him at the end of exactly, a new exactly the, the yeah. medal we, we had we had the nice callback yeah, they'd with... fallen out they hadn't spoken to each other for like 10 years after Kylo had gone and you know got all goth yeah yeah but he yeah, still yeah, loved yeah. it and he still kept that medal in the console the falcon yeah. you know that would have been great she, yeah you know, no let's get a dice yeah yeah because no, yeah, yeah. i will point out the dice are in there some internet nerd has gone and found a blurry little gold thing yeah, in a shot fine. and you know but that's not something they previously not, established for us it's they not were. established no, for us no, it's it's not. Not. it was a bit like the gold cuffs in rocky five wasn't it the oh, gold. Don't, do we stand with that <laughs> stop like, we're, we're opening up enough we're opening up enough five, hands of worms rocky, here let's keep rocky things on track the rocky five podcast episode is coming up that'll be number 37 so look we're, we're just you know I'm, I'm trying to be objective as, as I do Neil is offering up alternatives we both are I'm accepting the alternatives space, yes space camels for me need to roam free look that's something we need to do. I mean, you know, oh, the space camels and oh. were they, were they horses or camels. Were I they? don't. They, they were. They. I don't know what they were. I don't matter. know. It doesn't matter because the, the whole that whole part of the is film. It, what what right, enjoyment right. is to be gleaned from watching that? Are you looking forward to watching that again now on Blu-ray? That right, section. I think, think that was Rose's home homeland or home planet. Didn't she? No, she she had previously been a slave like those young children. Oh, right. I thought they were sick of doing yeah. the animals as well. I, I think, think I think that's yeah. I think she actually was um, th- that sort of horse racing or whatever those creatures are she had been yeah, one of those slave children maybe not maybe not on that planet but yeah that's what you know I think that's what certainly what she was alluding to but going back to what you were saying about that film's got a political agenda if you look at how things have been in the last year or so in America which we're not going to go into in any great detail but you know certainly making the film more representative is great but our issues are not with that our issues are with how poorly served those characters were and I feel sorry for characters like Laura Dern and Rose who are just they've been introduced to this great franchise and they've just been poorly served by being the subject of unnecessary yeah. plot uh, this is this points. is pro- probably um, proof in the pudding um, did Rose die at the end or was she I can't remember I she, she I, I, I think I it was a case of like with Finn um, she, she's gonna she's gonna pull through she was fine she was fine she was fine let's, fine, let's yeah. talk about that in part Finn who for me has always been an underused character yeah and I, 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 I really like I really like John Boyega. Every time you watch great. an interview with him, he's a he's great guy. But he's, he's not given any service in this film. Not at all. That what, would I have th- been. what I thought he was going to go out like yes. like a hero yeah. at the end, 
I actually thought, oh right, it's been built into the fact that he's always been quite a sort of bit of a joke, really, and a bit of a yeah. mumbling, mumbling fool all the way through it. But he's got his big payoff. Yeah. But Rose sweeps in and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It was. Um, I thought I, I was actually beginning. The only point in the film I was beginning to feel any sort of strong emotion, thinking, yeah, this is this is going to be something now. He's going to sacrifice himself, and you know, it, it's going to be emotionally impactful. And then the rug is pulled from under us. By killing people, we win them by saving the ones we love. Okay, yeah. So I'll save you. And fuck everyone else. Fuck everyone else. Yeah. (laughs) And he didn't seem seem to want to know about that curse afterwards, did he? No, no, no. I don't think he's going to be following through on that one, unfortunately. Yeah, so obviously, you know, Neil and I have got a lot of problems with it. A lot of which, you know, Richie's agreeing with. But he's, you know, just think, you know, obviously, Richie, you're just a lot more forgiving of them than we are. I think it'd be interesting to see how you feel about the film on a follow-up viewing um, but you know this is not going to be a forensic analysis of the film that could be an entire podcast in itself but I think we've made it quite clear how individually we feel about the film so Neil final scores on Star Wars The Last Jedi I wish I could go higher um, I'm not angry I'm just disappointed it's a five yeah I'm when I came out of it I was disappointed and that disappointment grew and I'm not gonna lie, it's bordered on anger. I because I'm just unforgiving of poor writing. I will go with what my initial gut feeling was, which I feel I've more than justified in an article that took I took no pleasure in writing. I'm going to give the film a very reluctant four out of ten, but that could go up on a future viewing where I'm more forgiving I'm always you know for me there's nothing more important than the second viewing of a film yeah it's funny like me and Richard talked about it earlier and I was saying like, I'm quite open to the fact that I could watch it a second time round and think oh I see what you're doing here the big difference for me is whereas I was looking forward to a second viewing of The Force Awakens and I I did not enjoy The Force Awakens that much on the first viewing I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more on the second viewing unfortunately with this film I am not looking forward to a second viewing it's left really bitter taste in my mouth and I really don't know where they're going to take this this trilogy <clears throat> and yeah I, I'm just bitterly disappointed for me Star Wars The Last Jedi is the biggest disappointment of 2017 and I take no pleasure in saying that yeah well for me um, of all the issues that we've talked about I am perfectly open to the fact that when I rewatch the film that I may um, bow down and, and accept and, and have bigger issues with what things that, 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 that I don't know, maybe be less impressed by Luke's story. But for me, the film was about Luke Skywalker and where we knew we were going into the film with Luke. For me, it was all about Luke and his story was was was, was payoff enough for me, which which put the other issues to not so much to bed, but I felt that, that it made up for the areas elsewhere. I enjoyed Luke's story so much that I can overlook the rest at the moment. And for me, it was a seven. Okay, so we've got... Five, four, five out of ten. I should have said five out of ten because I could have been on a five star rating. Like, <laughs> yeah. Five out of ten, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Okay, so that's our thoughts on Star Wars: The Last Jedi. <laughs> now, um, each week we're going to discuss um, our three favorite. It could be anything. It could be a, 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 a genre of film. It could be um, an actor. It could be um, you know, a technical achievement like cinematography. This week for our first episode, we have picked our top three favourite comedies. Rich, I'm going to let you go first. What's your number three? 
Right, my number three, as we've discussed previously, I have an issue with picking favourites of things because I'm quite indecisive. Really? Yes. Um, comedy comedy films are not something that I find myself watching very often, so it was even harder for me. I uh, I could talk about sitcoms, British comedy all day long, but when it comes to comedy films, I realise I don't really watch comedy films. So my number three is a film that... Um, I loved as a kid, I loved as a teenager. I've got it recorded on my Skybox for a rewatch. I intended on rewatching it prior to tonight, but haven't got around to doing it. Um, and I have a feeling that I will probably be quite disappointed when I rewatch it. And that film is Police Academy. Hmm. Interesting choice. It was, it was something that um, I, I think I first saw, um, I think the first Police Academy film I saw was Police Academy 3. That was the, the first PG of them. Uh, Subtitle. Back in training. Back in training. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I prided myself on being able to do every single subtitle of Police I, Academy. I, I personally lean towards Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. For me, more, more so than Miami. Assign Miami Beach. Uh, Mission to Moscow would be my favourite. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Sorry, we we digress. Rich. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, I think that was on TV one Christmas at about age nine, and I then sought out the earlier films. They were uh, fifteen rated, and I was uh, at about ten years old. I was allowed to watch that. Um, Oh, you rebel. I'm such a rebel, such a rebel. And for me, it was... um, How do they sleep? I know, the reprobate. Is that how you turn into the twisted reprobate you are? It's more machine than man. Um, (laughs) Twisted and evil. Um... I hope that when I rewatch it, that it's 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 as dear to me as what it is. It's, it's probably not. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. No, it, it was. It, it came of it came of an era. It came of the time around the sort of um, the um, airplane films. The the um, what is it? The Caddyshack. That sort Caddyshack. of that era. Oh, yeah. That that era whereby there was it was bawdy humour. It was almost it was it was almost America's carry on films. It was that sort of. Rude, yes. cheeky, yes. Uh, a bit of nudity, bit of, bit of, a bit of boob here, that sort of thing. The gang's all here, though. Yeah, yeah. it was it was that yeah. sort of, and it was it yeah. was that sort of, and and it was very much of its era. I I, I would hate to see um, a, a remake of Police Academy that because what talking about political correctness, talking about what works and what didn't, is very much of its era. Uh, and I think then the sequels that followed evidenced the fact that over the course of the 10 or 12 years that, that, that came afterwards where the sequels and the TV series the animated TV series that came as part it of it there was a cartoon there was a cartoon yeah, yeah. Um, hooray I think was the tagline for that <laughs> yeah um, I, I was a big Police Academy fan I loved Police Academy it, it was it was it was rude it was cheeky it was funny I loved uh, uh, you know Steve Guttenberg's character Mahoney was was great he you know Mahoney was cool. We all he was. Oh, Steve Guttenberg. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. There was a, there was a small period of time in the eighties where Steve Guttenberg was the man, wasn't he? I he mean, was. He was yeah. You know, whether it was Three Men and a Baby, or whether it was Cocoon, or whether it was uh, uh, Number Five. Do you know? he, he was your every man, wasn't he? He. I tell you what, there's, there's a fine line between Steve Guttenberg and Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks in the eighties. Yeah. Somewhere yeah. along the line, Tom Hanks just had a better agent. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> And, and 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 that worked, didn't it? He was he was. Tom Hanks is great, by the way. Yeah, but but, he, but but there was there was the, the characters that were around that you know in talking about films whereby you know we're looking for representation. Yeah. You oh know, yeah, yeah. It 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 threw it in your face, didn't it? You know, you had and and also you also had the characters then that that were racist, the characters that were so there were serious undertones in it, and they were then yeah. treated. Yeah. They, they, they were by the other characters. mocked by the other ones. Yeah. They were. So they, yeah, I again to take a more serious thing. It, I don't, you know, there, there is a lot of underrepresentation in films. There really is. It ruined Bob Cat Goldthwait's life, though. Did you know that? No. 
because the character of Bobcat Goldthwaite, when he, the voice he puts on, I always assume that's how he spoke. It's not. He's actually a stand-up comedian. He's quite a straight guy. Yeah. And for about ten years, he had to carry on with that voice. And when he was trying to become like sort of successful and stand up, no one would go and watch him because he because went, he didn't ah, have ah, no, he didn't speak yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. See, but so, it, do, it does show that rehabilitation works because obviously he was the main villain in Police Academy Two. Many people forget. Yes. The main villain, yes. and then along with with Sweet Chuck, he joined the ranks in back in training in Police Academy Three. That's an important message the Police Academy was was bringing to us rehabilitation work it's never too late to change exactly yeah. um, but but yeah so it was it was something that as I say was, I, I, I found very funny as a kid um, someone who doesn't watch a great deal of comedies it was my third choice okay so Neil number three um, I've I got to be honest I love comedies gone for number three is probably not going to be in anyone else's top three list at this table at least and I would imagine a few people will probably kick back at it but it's the first film where I genuinely thought I was going to wet myself and that's Dumb and Dumber okay no yeah, yeah. D- and nothing much, wrong with that at all and in much the same way that we were talking about uh, Police Academy being carried on to me this is the crudest version of Lauren Hardy I have ever seen mm. it shouldn't work and the Farley brothers are outrageous in what they do for me it is absolutely hysterical to this day I can walk in and if the TV is showing that film is three quarters of the way through, I will happily jump in and watch the end of it. Mm-hmm. It never fails to amaze me. Jim Carrey can be overzealous and annoying and or straight-laced and bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, he actually gets it right in this film. He plays dumb so mm-hmm. marvellously. And you've got Jeff Daniels, who's not, you know, because you always assume that a comedy has to have comedians in it. He's a straight actor. Yeah, he is. You know, yeah. But his comic timing of this is just superb. It, Jeff Dennis is a, is a fantastic actor. If you've seen the newsroom, yeah. he's a very he's a great yeah. actor, fantastic actor. And you're right. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you. The, the, yeah. the, there is like, they just not, get it right, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they? They do. They they, it, it, they get it right, don't they? And it kickstarted that era of gross out sort of. Yeah, and like obviously when they went on and then they did something about Mary and they did Liar Liar. Was it Liar? Yeah, it was Liar Liar. Mm. Did, wasn't it? And um, you know, and uh, what was the other one? Me, myself, and Irene. Yeah, think, yeah. And there was there were there were a few sort of like over the. It almost they were trying to top it every time. Yeah. And I found they'll do a shit joke in Dumb and Dumber, but it's a funny shit joke. It's got a little squeaky fart at the mm. end of it, mm. and they sort of rein themselves. I don't know whether they mm. rein themselves in or perhaps they just didn't have the confidence to push it to push the envelope that much. But every time I watch that film, and the one line that's throughout that film, yeah, just the one scene when he comes home from work and he's like, "I, I fell off the jet runway again," <laughs> like you know, <laughs> he just sort of shrugs his shoulders it's like it's a weekly thing, you know. It's okay, I'm a limo driver. Yeah, they, they, I think the Farley brothers they did what they did well was you had gross out humour and irreverent humour, and it was it was just a, sadly Dumb and Dumber two. In contrast to t- to uh, to Train Spotting Two, was how not to do a twenty Agreed. years later yeah. sequel. What you gotta think? What you gotta think of Dumb and Dumber Two or Dumb and Dumberer? Oh. Yeah, yeah. It? I think it's because it's not called Dumb and Dumber Two because they did about fifteen spin-offs. There, there, was, there, there was there were three films. Yeah, yeah because there, there was when they were, Lloyd, yeah that was Dumb and Dumb that was Dumb and Dumberer, wasn't what it? What was the second one? What was the and then that, the, that the sequel? The, the sequel. The, the, anyway, the sequel, sequel with Jim Carrey, Dumb and Dumber Two, spelled T O. That's it. Was yes, hilariously. Yes. It's mm. 20 years after. Yeah. For me, it, it does actually capture... I re- I've watched it the first time, I was like, yeah, it's rubbish. It was on TV one night, and I was like, it's, it's actually quite funny. Yeah, my... But I think it's, you, you go in, 20 years after, you've missed that, you've missed... All of my films that I've got in my top three have all got sequels. Two of them are dire sequels. Mm. And the reason they're dire sequels is, you had the lightning in the bottle, 
Yeah. You didn't do it for like 10, 20 years, and then it in comparison, never it's never gonna, it's never gonna come yeah. near it. And to do that twenty years after, I love the way it just carried on. But yeah, I would have said it was garbage. So my number three, I know it's going to be probably Neil's. He's going to be high on Neil's list. Ooh. Is two thousand and four. Oh, Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. no. Richard loves this film. <laughs> Richard and um, a few other friends of ours, such as we'll call him Jim. We'll call him Jim. Let's call him Jim. Jim, not yeah. James. Jim. And we definitely won't mention his surname. No, no. He, and not fans of this film. Yeah, and possibly not really fans of. Uh, n- well, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell is a funnier person than what his films are. When I see him interviewed, his his for me every film that I see him in never quite lives up to how funny it should be because Will Ferrell is a very funny person and is and I find his he's a very funny actor. However, I'm always even even I'm told is the best Will Ferrell film in many people's eyes, Elf. Yeah. yeah. For me, it is funny, but it's not the funniest Christmas film. I'll talk about that on number two. No, no, I think <laughs> oh, he's just saying he's like what he's done there. <laughs> I, I pick this as my number three. But this may well be the funniest film I've ever seen. Possibly, this, is how, this is how he sold it to you. Yeah, possibly <laughs> se- second to another Will Ferrell film, which isn't on my list, Step Brothers, Step Brothers which definitely. is by far and away the most childish, puerile, ridiculous film I've ever seen. And it's for that reason alone that I love Step Brothers. But Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, it is just Will Ferrell irreverence, just taken not to its limit, but to an acceptable degree. When his warm-up routine and and the the if you watch the outtakes and they even made an, a completely different film yeah, from yeah. made up of the outtakes from Anchorman, it's just it's Will Ferrell at his peak. Uh, the the famous fight scene is just absolute genius. Uh, Steve Carell as Brick Tamlin is, is outstanding. I will give you uh, that. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. <laughs> Paul Rudd. He's the only why can't we Thomas? Why can't we the character now? Uh, uh, but didn't Paul Rudd play Brian Fontana? Yeah, Brian, Brian Fontana. Fontana. Uh, yeah. The guy who doesn't like the film knows his name. Sex <laughs> Panther. Yeah. The opening scene when they do this sort of dialogue, and I'm I'm giving away because you clearly know I'm going to mention Anchorman at some point. Yeah. The opening. Well, scene, no, you, this is you have to tell us now they, where it comes well, on the list. It's number one. Let's there you be go. Yeah. So you're going to do your, your list is going to end at number two. We're going to discuss Christmas your number one and my number three. The opening scene where you get all the main characters introduce themselves. You've got Brett Tamlin pouring mayonnaise into a toaster <laughs> with a butter knife. And Brian Fantana is sat between some beautiful women, twisted, playing Russian roulette with a, a small cult firearm. Like, what's going on here? It's, look, it, it's a ridiculous film. And if you don't buy into it, you know that sort of humour then that, that's absolutely fine you have no soul I pity you and you are dead probably, inside probably cry when I see you and I probably didn't see uh, Anchorman probably until about I think maybe 2008 I think, I think. You, I think you bought it off me yeah I think yeah, yeah. Um, Neil had tried to sell this film to me for years and um, when I eventually saw it I was just yeah um, yeah Neil you're absolutely right it's a great film when I saw it a second time I, I just completely just fell in love with the film and yeah it is it, that, that's my choice for number three it, the two films above it I think are better films but I don't think they're necessarily as consistently funny but we'll come to that later there's just so much there's just so much going on there I, I actually relate kind of to what Rich was saying because Will Ferrell is hitting this 
he, he has done some great films Angerman obviously being one of them Step Brothers I love as well uh, Talladega Nights as much as it gets a stick is it, yeah. a lot of people, is still stupidly funny for me but I will accept for every one of them there's a daddy's home Mm. You know, there's you know there's that you know was that thing he did about a casino in a house. I think it was called House. There we are. That was rubbish as well. But this is Will Ferrell. I mean, he made a comedy about a '70s news anchor. Yeah. You imagine trying to pitch this now? There's just no way this should work. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah? right. You've got characters in it: Brian Fontana, <laughs> Brick Tablet, Champ, Champ, Kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, what we always forget about is Fred Willard. As the uh, the station boss, yeah, he's br- yeah, uh, brilliant. Ed, Ed Harkin, yeah. yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, oh, it's and then just... we got we, we can't you can't mention Anchorman without mentioning that the, probably the greatest fight scene of all time of all time. You know, Brick, you threw you threw a tri- you killed a man with a trident. <laughs> just the fact that Ben Stiller turns up as the local host of a Spanish network with a bullwhip and an opening line of "Hola, bitches," Ben Stiller. Luke, Luke Wilson yeah uh, Tim, Tim, Tim Robbins Tim Robbins who at that time I mean he, he did he did stuff with Jack Black afterwards in the Tenacious D movie but at that stage Tim Robbins was not a comedy actor <laughs> but in that film no. he was a comedy actor <laughs> yes. much like Jeff Daniels <laughs> yeah yeah it, right anyway so Rich your number two okay so for me for number two Again, going back to this this theory that I have, this issue I have with, with comedy films. Look at comedy actors. Trying to think of my favorite comedy actors, Bill Murray is one of is probably my favorite comedy actor. And aside from the obvious, um, my favorite film of his isn't Groundhog Day. It's Scrooged. Mm. Oh wow! I would have I would have at least yeah. said you may be higher on your list than the next film if it's a Bill Murray film. But yeah. So for me, Scrooged. Scrooged. Mm. Bill Murray frustrated is one of the funniest things I've ever seen on, on, on in a film, and and with, with Scrooge, I, I I always loved the story of a Christmas Carol. I always read that. I, I Christmas, I love Christmas, and a Christmas Carol. I always liked that story, and, and the different sort of uh, growing up, the different iterations of the story of a Christmas Carol. I always liked from Mickey's Christmas Carol to Muppets Christmas Carol, and then and then the older classic versions yeah. as I got older. I didn't see Scrooge when I was a child. I saw Scrooge. I was probably a mid-teenager. I didn't know about it. Uh, so it was sort of in mid-90s. The film came out in 1988. And when I watched it, it was it was Bill Murray playing the Scrooge character, um, Frank Cross, the TV executive. Uh, you know, one of the characters in it is Bob Col- Goldthwaite, who, who plays the... Um, who, who plays Loudermilk. Yeah, who plays the um, sort of the... It's a Bob, no, he doesn't play the Bob Cratchit character, but he, he's he's a, a character who's sort of picked on and, 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 and fired and all the rest of it. For me, it just makes me laugh. I've seen it so many times. I love the film. I love I love him frustrated people. I love the way that he speaks to to to, to his staff. There's there's scenes such as um, he goes to an, an award ceremony um, where he's he's um, uh, given an award for the philanthropist of the year or what have you. And um, in getting a taxi outside, and um, there's an old lady who just goes to get the cab, and he gets in the cab before before her. Holding his award, flips her the bird and goes bye bye grandma, bye bye grandma. As the thing drives off, it's it, it's Bill Murray playing that He's playing angry an evil version of Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah. and it and it is fantastic. And then even when we get the 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 Christmas Carol payoff, whereby he's visited by all the ghosts. I mean, Ghost of Christmas Past. The taxi driver is great. Um, the the um the the ghost of Christmas Present. The the, the female ghost who. who Carol Kane kicks him in the nuts, shows him that uh, his family they are now. It it works on on on. It makes me laugh, but also 
from the schmaltz then that we get at the end I love it yeah. I love the end of it I love the bit when we when when uh, the, the TV show's going out live and Elliot's got um, Bryce Cummins um, uh, Michael Glover is Michael Glover uh, tied up he's, he's this sort of the other TV executive who sort of um, is John Glover John Glover he's got him tied up in the uh, in the thing and we've got all of the Richard Donner parts we, you know he's a bit of some lethal weapon bit part characters I, was forget, that I forget that Richard Donner directed script Richard Donner was turning down because he'd just done Lethal Weapon he didn't want to do another Christmas movie really that's right he'd done yeah. Lethal Weapon the year before yeah and every year I watch it and at the end I'm singing along with Al Green and, and, um, and um, that's right so, which goes into right I've got to admit when I first saw Scrooge in probably on, in 1989 on home video I absolutely fell in love with the film I had bought the year it came out um, the Put a Little Love in Your Heart the Al Green Annie Lennox um, song I bought that on um Vinyl, cassette really wasn't it? No, it was vinyl. No, it was, I had it. Had it on vinyl. I had the single on vinyl. I have not seen this the the film since probably the early nineties, and I I really do need to sort of amend that. It's it's yeah, my it's, it's my Christmas tradition. It's it is probably what I need to go back on. I think next Christmas definitely. When I was thinking about my favorite comedy films, I found myself going towards Christmas films I really enjoy Home Alone and I was thinking is that my favourite is this because you had neglectful parents <laughs> <laughs> well they they, they, they loved the Peace Academy didn't they because yeah. you once killed a burglar <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's that, that for me that was when I tend to watch funny films yeah. or they, 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 yeah, it seems to be Christmassy funny films and I don't really know why that is I think it's because as a kid it's one of those rare times where you're off for a couple of weeks and you can't go outside yeah so you tend to watch more you know that's a really good. Not like, point, not like the kids with their iPads and their, and their fidget spinners these days. Yeah. But so, yeah. So, so that was it. So, so for me, and it, and and it still holds holds true now. I, I absolutely love the film. Neil, your number two. Uh, number two again. I will fully accept that a lot of people will say this doesn't deserve to be at number two. Uh, but but this uh, is your this is your favourite. Yeah. This is not you're not saying it's the best. This is your favourite. So. I'm going to explain why. That's so what I'm purely subjective. <laughs> Greece isn't a comedy, but if you love it, that's fine. <laughs> it's Greece too. <laughs> the electric boogaloo. Uh, uh, no, it would be the Chevy Chase classic. Fletch. Fletch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not on my list because I haven't seen it for far too long a time. But only I've seen it once. Did a retrospective yeah. review of this when the site first started. There was a, there was a couple. Of, there was a couple of films. Neil's was, first articles for Film Eight Nine back it, in August. I think. It was one of my first ones. I love this film. I think it's an overlooked film. Yeah. I think when we look back at eighties, sort of the eighties was a strange time where you almost had sort of action slash comedy films. I mean, Lethal Weapon to a certain degree has definitely got a comedic element. But if you go into uh, Beverly Hills Cop, Dragnet, Dragnet, yeah. yeah. This is more on lines with a Beverly Hills Cop, where it's more street laced, you know, where you, you sort of accept the fact that someone could get shot and killed. But I think in Dragnet, it's, it's almost like a little bit more comic bookish. Yeah, agreed. Chevy Chase was born to play this role. Uh, I know Chevy Chase can be quite a diva by all accounts. He actually says this was the, the, the role he'd been waiting for. It's like, mm. it's the best role he's ever been in for me. The comic delivery that this guy has, uh, I think about 80% of the one liners are improvised. If I ever go to a front door and a beautiful lady opens the door to me <laughs> wearing only a towel, if I have the quick wittedness to say, excuse me, I've just run over a water buffalo, I need to borrow your towel, you I peaked. will die a happy man. <laughs> 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 By all no. accounts, that one in the script and they had to film it 15 times. Yeah, really. I, It was Neil's article, which uh, when I was going through the process of just putting the final edit on it, I... I I just thought I've, I've really got to see this film again because I remember seeing it when I was a kid and just thinking it was great. It was, 
it's got quite a sort of dark subject matter. Yeah, I mean, it you has, know, I know. Like drug dealers on the beach yeah. and, you know, it's... It's really sort of dark. And it, it's, it's it. a PG rated film. There's no way it this is film would be a PG Right, on according to IMDb, um, the, the, the American rating. Um, I'm not sure what it, it it would have been PG in the UK as well. It, it's yeah, a it PG been, rated film. But there's there's no way nowadays. A this film wouldn't get made. No, nowadays. it would, no, be, it would be a, a lot they, team, a lot tamer. Well, I don't think they, I don't think there's a market for this film. Well, if you speak to studio bosses, I don't think there's a market for this film. But no, I think that sort of action comedy sort of thing. Kind of started to die up with the likes of Rush Hour and, and yeah. things like that. But it became and Charlie's Angels. Yeah, yeah, it became more about sort of you know special effects and kung fu kicks. This is this is down and dirty. Yeah. Just a, 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 so it's a quite a gritty storyline, but just brilliant one-liners all the way it was, through it. It was made on, on a, an estimated budget of eight million dollars, and it grossed fifty-nine million dollars. So you know for. A reasonably, you know, eight million dollars back in nineteen eighty five. That that's more than the Terminator cost. The Terminator yeah. year before cost six point two or six point four million. You, you have to understand the time Chase at the time. Chase was there. He was, he was yeah. huge. Yeah, and absolutely. we forget we forget how big a star he was. I mean, he, there was a certain yeah. point in time where he was he was the top of the comp. Much like Jim Carrey was in the mid nineties, yeah. Chase was yeah. in the early eighties or maybe the mid eighties. What we were talking about, I say, I mentioned every one of my films has got a sequel. Obviously, we know Anchorman's got a sequel. Fletcher's got a sequel. It's made Fletch in, Lives. Fletch Lives, which isn't a bad film, but was only made five years later, and I think that's the, the differential. Four years, 1989. Yeah, Fletch four years lives. later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. If you look at, definitely the follow-up to Dumb and Dumber, Dumber E, Dumber 2, <laughs> and I know Anchorman 2 falls far, far short. And I've not watched that. E, e, but <laughs> it's not a good film. But it's not a great film. Fletch Lives is actually an alright sequel. Mm. Yeah. So, my number two, um, the film I've picked above it is for me a more personal film I'm not saying the film I've picked above my number two is a better comedy because at number two I've got a film that may well be the greatest comedy ever made it is This Is Spinal Tap 1984 oh, yes. it's oh, I've heard talk of people actually thinking that they were a real band that yeah. Spinal Tap were a real band and until I saw the film I, I, you know, I, I, did not, I didn't see the film until probably um, the, the mid to late 90s I actually thought in the back of my mind the Spinal Tap were a real group and it was only when I saw the film I actually realised that it was a mockumentary probably the, the first mockumentary that I can recall uh, it is just absolutely golden uh, Christopher Guest and uh, Michael McKean firing on all cylinders Rob Reiner who's directed some incredible comedies I, I think it's by far his best film and if I was going to pick a film it's probably Vine for uh, greatest comedy this would be it there's just so many it's so quotable the you know t turning up to 11 on the amplifier <laughs> lick my love's it's, it's the delivery it's you know he plays that lovely piano piece um that, that is completely not like the rest of spinal house music oh what do you call that lick my love pump it's, it's the delivery it's, it is just absolutely genius there's I, I forget who the band were um but I, I've seen numerous times that the frontman from a band of, of, of that style from that era who actually who said that, that's us that's, yeah. that, that is yeah I, I know with them the, the bit where they get lost backstage where they're trying to get on stage there's a uh, Tom Petty documentary where that actually happened right yeah. and people thought that they were paying homage to Spinal Tap and it was like <laughs> no, this actually happened Tom Petty got lost on the way to the stage <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I said Michael McKean Christopher Guest and Harry Shearer, you know, they're, they're the core of that film. And as much as they've gone on to write, you know, 
innumerable other great comedies. This is Spinal Tap is a film they're going to be remembered for. It's one of the greatest films about music. Certainly, you know, apart from, I'd say, Almost Famous is up there. Yeah. Even though Almost Famous is a serious film, This is Spinal Tap is still a film about music, about groupies, about touring, and about rock. And it, it's so close to real life. You know, I th- I've heard that a lot of um, front men from a lot of bands have said that, you know, they've openly acknowledged that as much as it's a comedy, it's so close to real life. Yeah. And just as a little footnote, if you go into IMDb and you want to rate the film, it's actually scored out of eleven as opposed to everything else. Wow, which is scored is out it? of ten. Oh my go. gosh, that is scored up to eleven. That's that's when, you, that's when you know you made an impact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can actually change the scoring system on IMDb just for one film. Just so change the zeitgeist. That's my number two, Rich. Your number one. In choosing my number one, it was a massive preamble alert. The film I've chosen is is a comedy much more than the other two. Um, reference on things like IMDb and other websites will class Back to the Future as a comedy film. Back to the Future is my all time favorite film, but for me, it's, it's not my favorite film because it, it's 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 a com- there's comedy elements, but I don't see it as yeah, a comedy. IMDb, yeah. look, IMDb will rate. They will never pick a single genre for a film unless they, it doesn't fit into any other category. Like yeah. um, if it's an outright western, it may well just say it's, not, it, it's a western. But Back to the Future is classed as an adventure comedy sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. I would say the first and foremost, it's, it's, it's a sci-fi, sci-fi adventure with comedy overtones. Yeah, yeah, uh, like. Likewise, not not sci-fi. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah. for me, it's an action film. It's an action film. It got it got more comedy as it as it diluted through the sequels. But if you watch that first Lethal Weapon film, particularly the director's cut of the film, it's a dark film. It's it is a great great film. There's humour in it. It is very funny, but it's not a comedy. So quite rightly, as anyone who knows me will predict, my number one comedy is Ghostbusters. (laughs) Yeah. Possibly alluded to it with, with Bill Murray before, but for me, again, Ghostbusters, everything about it. The, it's a film that I, that, that I hold very, very dear to my heart. I watched as a very young kid. I was frightened by the library scene at the beginning. There are actual genuine, there's there, there are genuine sort of scary moments. The effects were, of its time were very, very good. I can remember absolutely bricking it in the cinema to that the, the library scene. The ghost yeah. 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 It was... It, well, I was 23. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but, 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 that Bill Murray is Peter Venkman. Yeah, you know, Hal Ramis is Egon. They 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 play that so well. I I every time I watch it, I I, I, I laugh at the same bit. It is it's it stands the test of time. It, it is it is so well written, so well acted. Every every actor plays their part so well. I've even got a, plenty of positives about Ghostbusters too, but Ghostbusters for me is is is. F- it's probably the, my favorite. Well, it is my favorite comedy film, and it's probably the best comedy film for me. I absolutely adore the film. And again, a PG. You've got well, the, you know, this is this the scariest is, librarian of all time, and Dan Aykroyd Guinness. But this was nineteen eighty four. This was before the PG thirteen rating came in, um, because uh, I believe it was after Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The PG thirteen rating was introduced in nineteen eighty four eighty five. Mm. So back then. PG films are allowed a lot more leeway than they are today. Films like Jaws, which is absolutely terrifying. Mm. That was a PG. You know, these days it'd be PG 13, 12A in the in the, yeah. In the UK. Yeah. Fantastic soundtrack. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I don't just mean Ray Parker Jr. song. I mean, you know, cleaning up the town. The, the, the songs. It is. It is yeah. a great. It it, it it it. At no point does that film sag. It it's it's quick fire. It's really clever. It's 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 
the science is you say the soundtrack the score was done by Alma Bernstein yeah 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 Alma Bernstein with Magnificent Seven and, and so many classic westerns he's an incredible film composer you know the wit it was originally conceived as a horror movie wasn't it Dan Aykroyd was yeah. a big massive horror fan after, you know, did the Twilight yeah. Zone movie and it was and I, and I, even when they were doing the sequel yeah. they were talking about taking it to hell and the Ghostbusters yeah. had to travel through hell and stuff yeah yeah yeah. You know, it was, it's, it's bizarre isn't it it's one of those films that's regularly shown in a sort of 2-3 o'clock in the afternoon yeah it's like go on kids you'll be alright right. yeah but <laughs> actually I mean you know the scene in when the scene with the, with the mayor and, and Walter Peck is there and it's, it's a case of you know ridiculous over here you know is this true yes this man has no dick it's it's so clever witty it is it is yeah. And it's and it's to the you know it, it pushes the envelope in respect of uh, yeah. sort of uh, you will get no argument from me. It's um, yeah, great film. Loved it as a kid. And back last year, I allowed my um, six-year-old to watch it, and I, I just sat there watching his reaction to the library scene. And as much as he was quite startled, he was also from that point on the film had him. Yeah, yeah. And he you know he he really does like the film. It's a it's it's, it's great. It's yeah. great. No, that's a great choice. You know, right, we've obviously, we've obviously done my number one already. So we have. Are we doing yeah. honourable mentions? No, no, you've got your number two dimension. I've done that. Oh, you've done your number yeah. two. Sorry, oh, my number one. It's okay. getting late. It's getting late. It's getting late. <laughs> my number one is a film that um, it's my go-to feel-good film, and it's not necessarily the most laugh-out-loud funny film, but it's probably one of the comedies I've watched the most. It's Joe Dante, Tom Hanks, nineteen eighty-nine, oh. The Burbs. <laughs> I I know every line of dialogue in this film. Steve Amos, um, who also writes a film eighty nine, this is one of his favourite films. He's a massive Joe Dante fan, and this is one of the first things that, that got us talking um, on social media when we both wrote for another website, and you know, we realised we had you know a, a lot in common with regards our taste in films. But this this is Tom Hanks at his absolute peak when he was um, purely a, a comedic actor. I'm not saying he hasn't done better films since, but you know, if you go back to '80s comedy Tom Hanks era, this for me is his finest film, one of Joe Dante's best films, uh, and you know, I've seen quite a bit. If you look at some of his '80s output, I just love the fact that it is suburban paranoia and nothing more. You know, there's no supernatural element. There's no. There's nothing that wild other than the humdrum life of. American Suburbanites and it is so perfectly played by um, Tom Hanks Bruce Stern uh, Rick DeComen uh, Carrie Fisher she plays you know the, the straight character to Tom Hanks is you know not that Tom Hanks is, is, is clownish in the film but you know Corey Feldman um, is a film that me and my wife will quote to each other quite frequently you know and I've met so many people that, that you know quote little things about this film and it, it's not um, one of the most well-known or well-respected comedies by our fund over the years that is a film that if you meet someone who loves the burbs they just love it completely just like i do and they can quote the film endlessly yeah I mean, i'm actually ashamed to admit i've only probably watched it a handful of times i think it's a great film for me it's just you know it's strange sometimes you just don't seem to you know you can you can love a film but mm. for whatever reason you don't find yourself going back to it yeah yeah and it's one i need to catch up on again i did do the my wife thing when we were talking earlier Yes, I, I did actually. I actually quoted it without did. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah. before we started recording. Yeah. Neil did actually quote the birds without knowing what film he was quoting. So you know, it's there. It's, it's part of the consciousness. It yeah. is. It is. So, um, Rich, any honourable mentions? Films that you left out of your top three that you just uh, just just didn't make the cut. No, I, I 
I did in when I was doing my preamble for my number one things like *Lethal Weapon* and *Back to the Future* that have comedic elements. For me, it was hard enough choosing those three comedies. Um, so honorable mentions. Yeah. Did you do a graph? No, I I, I didn't, and I didn't utilize Excel or anything like that either. <laughs> I've I've got I could literally I could do another hour with honorable mentions. I'm just going to reel a few off straight away. Steve Martin, Double Bill for me would be the jerk and the man with two brains. Mm-hmm. If you've not seen the man with two brains. Please go and watch it. It's Steve Martin at his stupidest, funniest, zaniest. It's a bizarre film. I absolutely love the film. I kind of like the act, the action comedy mix. Like we were talking with um, Back to the Future, I toed him with Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in much the same vein. I was, you know, not necessarily a comedy, but an action comedy, and it, was, it, almost, it is. Yeah, it does. Almost, it does. Yeah, almost yeah. made my list. Yeah, just Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. How we go from doing the thing and escape from New York. To then moving on to this, it just goes to show the depth and brilliance of both well, of them. I think we'll definitely have to cover that in a future John Carpenter episode. Any more? Oh, uh, I could, I could go on all night, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, that would have been yeah, my last film. Yeah. Um, a film that me and my wife watch every Christmas when we put up the Christmas decorations without fail is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The the whole vacation series always made my top three. <laughs> to be honest. Um, <laughs> Just because it's complete pure oil nonsense and a film that should never have been made, but I'm so glad they did. The Step Brothers, another film that used to be a film I probably considered the greatest comedy until I watched it recently, and it actually really kind of drags in the first forty minutes until Leslie Nielsen arrives. It's airplane, <laughs> but after from that point onwards, it that's, is that's by far the most. It's the most joke dense comedy I've ever seen. I think someone actually said it's got more jokes per minute than any other film. Yeah, I think that's almost the beauty of airplane. I had a similar feeling when I watched it like two, three years ago. It's like, oh, I remember it being funny at this. Oh, I was just got funny. I think because it was parodying that sort of genre, mm. they they actually took it seriously, mm. and it was always sucking you in for that. I'm gonna say you know, um, not a top comedy, but a great Sunday afternoon films as well. If we're gonna go mid eighties, we're definitely gonna mention Uncle Buck. Yeah, the forgotten bastard child of John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, The Great Outdoors. The Great Outdoors, yes. fantastic, yes. great film. The Golden Child and Coming uh, to America, <laughs> always been yeah. The Golden Child, quite how anyone sat in the studio of boss's office and said, "I'm going to make a film about the devil coming back to kill a Buddhist monk. He's going to be rescued by a private eye who saves abused children." And he said, that sounds like the most horrific, horror, you know, comedy, uh, drama, thriller. No, no, we're going to get Eddie Murphy in a lead. It's going to be a comedy, a comedy. Yeah. Well, How that works, that, how yeah. that works, I don't know, but it does work. That was the power of Eddie Murphy in the early 80s. That was the power of the Murphy. And he last, could turn his hand to anything. I'm going to say one more, last on my list, that I'm probably going to regret leaving out. Because it's just, if, if The Burbs is a film I know, every line of dialogue. Right, mate, isn't it? No. <laughs> Shout out to a friend of ours, James Morris. Uh, James and I used to work together much like me and Neil have worked together for a long time we would spend endless hours talking to each other and have recently done so he, he phoned me just before Christmas and for the first three minutes of the conversation we just quoted this film to each other it's 1995 F. Gary Gray Ice Cube and Chris Tucker Friday now it's just a film that back in the 90s when films such as uh, Juice and Boys, Boys in the Hood yeah. and New Jack City, New Jack City. You know, these, these films were, were extremely popular and you know I was a big fan of them and then along comes this film that is just a massive piss take but at the same time a love letter to those films yeah. and it trod a line between very serious and you know because these films are you know, very serious about you know um, Urban Blight, and Urban Blight, Blight in, yeah. in you know 
South Central Alley, and it just it worked perfectly. But it never falls into parody of those it, films. It, like, it doesn't. It, it, that's what I say. It almost is a parody of those films, but at the same time, it's more more than anything. It's a perfect homage to them. More of uh, a comedic take than a parody. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's for me. Chris Tucker's never been better. Fifth Island, obviously. Well, no. Apart from like you know, <laughs> on stage back when he was big, but. You, as far as film goes, for me, Chris Tucker's never been better. Ice Cube's comic timing is just brilliant, and you know I just love the film, so I have to give that a mention. Yeah, if I didn't, definitely. James wouldn't forgive me. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that one. So there you go. That's our top three comedies. So um, we're going to bring things to a close now. We've done our review of 2017, looking ahead to 2018. I hope you haven't found our Drivel. analysis of... <laughs> Star Wars uh, The Last Jedi too negative and um, we've tried to be as objective as possible we're all big Star Wars fans Rich was objective Richard was objective <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed it and um, please uh, follow us on Facebook at Film89UK you can also follow my personal profile at Sky Movies that's Sky S-K-Y-E uh, yeah you can find me on Twitter there's no point looking for me on Facebook because I go under a pseudonym yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Neil underscore Gaskin, and uh, hopefully I hope you enjoy my work on the site as well. Yeah, likewise, I'm on Twitter um, at Richard underscore Roberts, um, and uh, I occasionally write for Film 89, so please like my articles. Yeah, we're on Facebook um, at Film 89 UK, um, but the majority of our stuff, um, Neil handles the Twitter side of things. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm quite neglectful of Facebook. At did I say that right? You did it the wrong way. I did it the wrong way. Neil handles the Facebook side of things and, and you know, obviously the upkeep of the website along with the rest of us. But everything that we do on the website goes through Twitter, so please follow us on Twitter and you know we hope you like our stuff. Um, we, there's a massive backlog of content you can look at, retrospective reviews, um, series of reviews on um, films by the likes of Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, we're going to be doing an Alfred Hitchcock series. Uh, Steve Amos has got a load of things in the pipeline, reviewing you know old classic films, Buster Keaton films, uh, Japanese cinema. There's a whole wealth of different stuff on the site. Anyone that loves film, TV, um, or video games, um, there's, there's been a few video game related articles from Hayden and also Martin Kassler, um, yeah, who, yeah, who runs the uh, Flixwise podcast, the Flixwise Canada podcast. Uh, by the time this is, hopefully, um, there should be an episode of that going up where Martin and I discuss John Carpenter's The Thing. And also a massive shout out to all the Wrong Real crew, uh, James Hancock especially, uh, Becky Diana, Adam Rakoff, Dave Eves, uh, it, just so many people who are part of the Wrong Real community who have, we've all become friends and just really grateful to be, you know, part of that. Um, make sure you follow Wrong Real on Twitter and at Colbrax, James Hancock, he's the man behind it all. If this podcast ever becomes even a fraction as good as that, then, you know, we'll be pleased. So I hope you've enjoyed this. We'll see you all next time. Bye.